The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Um, so I thought he's selling not moss, o- but Oval. super moss. Oval? Yeah, that was my boss. In, uh, oh, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, we figured I'd just continue the conversation that, that we were, were having, having before. Yeah. We were interrupted by having to go on the air. I know. So if you uh, just turn us on, you know, <laughs> and we just keep talking, then it's all good. We're talking about how uh, every day at the garden center people come in and go, they're so glad that Jim is back with us. And I say, you know, I can't. Uh, I, I second that, mm-hmm. but every day, and, and people just—I'm so glad I'm still here. Yeah, Jill, <laughs> I, I knew you would be because you're too grumpy. They would just in heaven go, can you just go back and bother those gardeners. <laughs> Man, they love Jim to death, though. I'm telling you. But good morning, everybody. You're in the garden with Veda Kenneth and Jim. And if you want to give us a call this morning, it's really easy: two six zero five nine two six two six zero five nine two six. And Veda. Jim, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. And as always, if you ever miss the show, streaming live all the time, kwmradio.com. Thank you there, Kenneth. You got it. So I posted my amaryllis on the garden page this week. Straightened it, up very well, didn't, didn't it? it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because that was the one that was upside down. You had, hold on, <clears throat> you, you had one in a box. Yeah, in a box. And I noticed the box, um, because it was like starting to buckle that's the word thank you buckle and i was like well that's obviously means this plant's trying to grow in the dark in the box in the box so i opened it up and of course the bulb had been placed upside down in the box or probably just moved around and shipping and it was growing and curved upward <laughs> so when you take it and put it the correct way then it's not acting normal it's all curved and pointing toward the ground so i took it out flipped it up of course and put it in a pot and put it under grow light which it didn't have to be a grow light that just happens to be what was where i was standing just stuck it right there and of course it's up right now looking good and so as another week goes i'll post the next phase and the same thing you know you go buy some paper white bulbs now you know they're in this big bin and you you buy the bulb and they've already started to sprout just from the moisture in the air and the same thing, it's going to have that curly, twisted, bent top. Just white or yellow as can be. Well, but even of, some of them are even still green. Well, that's true. But that's so true. I say, you know, get your bowl and set your bulbs in there. And always have the, the curved part pointing toward the center of the bowl. You know, all of them. Yeah. And just have them all pointing the same uh-huh. way in, you know, 10 days, two weeks. Like you said, they do the same thing with the amaryllis. They're going to be going straight up. That would probably look, look better because we did the same. Oh, my goodness. Okay, the... I do a lot of posting of videos on Instagram, but then we do have a um, marketing lady that does this. And she did in one of the videos that was so nice, Christmas music, showing all the pretty stuff. Well, then she does this really good shot of three amaryllis in a container. And they had all they were all bent over yeah. in all these directions. And I'm but they thinking, will straighten up, I'm uh, telling yeah, you. Yeah, but I'm like, y'all, they're, they're, she's not there people's not gonna know that this is gonna be better and they're wondering what kind of design do they do there? <laughs> but it, they will be fine. They'll right. all they'll all straighten up and of course the amaryllis and the paper whites are so easy. You don't need anything other than Let's just say the amaryllis. Start with those. Okay, I'll if, say amaryllis. If you if you uh, buy the bulb by itself, all you do is pot it up in a pot, 
plastic, clay, it doesn't matter. Anything that's got drainage with some good potting soil. And the bulb goes about halfway down in the soil, mm-hmm. right? And then all you do is just keep it inside, keep it fairly warm, and keep it moist. And it's going to do its thing. And then came along Mr. Waxed Amaryllis. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Amaryllis that's been cased in wax. It's the coolest thing in the world. It has no roots on it whatsoever. It's got a little stand on the bottom of it. You take that Amaryllis, this waxed Amaryllis, sit it on your table, mm-hmm. and that's it. No water, no soil, nothing, guys, and it does its thing. It is unbelievable. That's funny you were talking about that because of all the bizarre things to think when I'm driving to work. I was thinking about the two Amaryllis that we just let go ahead, and instead of putting them in the refrigerator to yeah. slow them down for the season, we let them go ahead and um, sprout up, and they're the ones with the wax on mm-hmm. them, and they have the little bitty stand on the mm-hmm. bottom, mm-hmm. and they're standing just two feet they've grown up, up to almost two feet and then they've got big blooms coming on the top it's amazing and so i'm waiting to see how well oh. this just stays up oh it does it's amazing and that's what i don't get <laughs> how can it be so top heavy and just not follow and then the paper whites you know they're the little smaller bulb uh they're usually very very fragrant uh and there's the ziva variety that you see and then there's one called in ball now the in ball variety is supposed to be a little shorter and not be quite as fragrant, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, the same thing, all you do is pot them up. Whether you use potting soil or whether you use gravel or rock, you can, any median's fine. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. The median's just holding the bulb in yeah, place it is. is all it's doing. And then if you were going to leave it in the median, then mm-hmm. it would be nutrients for the wheat roots that come out later, but we don't keep them that long. No, but, but I always like to say if you're using a soil, then you do want a container that has drainage. If you're using rock, marble, seashells, whatever, pea gravel, whatever, then you need a container that actually holds Have water. Have you ever used seashells holding an amaryllis up? I've seen it. Is that a Florida thing? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I use seashells to block the um, the holes in clay pots. I like that idea. The reason idea. is because I've got like 100 pounds we brought back from Florida. That's why I, that's why I asked you, have you ever used seashells? That's a good idea, yeah. all the seashells. My, my wife cannot, cannot not pick up a scallop that's yeah. on the sand. Just cannot. Doesn't matter not. size, color, whatever. Mm-hmm. If they're not broken, yeah. they come home with us. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, no kidding. I have one of these plastic crates uh-huh. that's, you know, 36 inches long and 24 inches wide. Must weigh 100 pounds. Full of seashells. Full of seashells. Yeah. You know, from 46 are... years, we've had a lot of seashells. Yeah, your kids are going <laughs> to inherit that. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, but the, Mom. But the beauty of the amaryllis and the paper whites, those are the two bulbs that you don't need to pre-chill. You don't have to do mm-hmm. anything to them other than typically add water. Now, any other bulb, like a tulip or a daffodil or a narcissus, you know, the other, the other narcissus, if you wanted to force those to bloom indoors, you would need to pre-chill them for about six mm-hmm. to seven weeks. And most people just don't want to go through that process. That's why the paper whites and the amaryllis are so favorable. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The um, <laughs> the sales rep for Netherland bulbs had come by to say hi and all that. And <clears throat> I was telling him about how we put our amaryllis in the refrigerator to slow them down because they seem to want to grow out too fast. But one thing that I have realized that I should we should pass on is you know how some refrigerators like in the back part will yeah. freeze oh, things. Yeah. Don't have them up there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had three wax amaryllis bulbs that had gotten pushed that far. Well, I wasn't even thinking about it. It was the An refrigerator in the warehouse. Yeah, it was in the warehouse. You know, everything goes to the warehouse when you're tired of it, but it still works. So uh, we pulled them out and set them, displayed them all around. 
And I go by and check them to see if everything's viable and looking good right. and all. And it was like squish, squish. And there was already some juice, rotten juice. I guess uh, see, you don't out. have to be that graphic this early. Yes, I do. Because yeah. I want y'all to share the grossness of this. Yeah. Well, I took them all three, you know, threw them away. But that is something from f- for future is make sure your bulbs aren't pushed so far back they freeze because then they just rot. Yeah, you know, you can chill them, but you don't want to mm-hmm. freeze them right. for sure. Yeah, and they were froze all right. And, and speaking of bulbs, uh, you know, now if you haven't planted your, you know, your tulips and daffodils, uh, of course, now is the time to do it. When I say now, starting now, the soil temperatures are cool enough mm-hmm. to where you don't have to worry about putting putting them in the ground and have them teased out of the ground because of warm temperatures. Because around here, we never know what the temperature is mm-hmm. going to be. Even yeah. in no, November, now we're in December, we still don't know what the temperatures are going right. to be. So, yeah, just go ahead and try to get those bulbs on the ground sooner than later. But what I was going to say is a good place to store them mm-hmm. until you do plant them is in the refrigerator like you're talking right. about, Veda, not the freezer like some people do. <laughs> well, speaking <clears throat> of the weather changing, I was looking at our podcast titles. You know, they always you always put titles to get your attention to listen to it. For every Saturday for the last three Saturday, cold weather is here, oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then we go to warm, and then the next Saturday, and then cold it's weather. Sixty-five is... at midnight last night. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And see, I've dressed for the entire day, so I don't, and so I'm burning up right now. But then later, it's going to be cooler. And let me say this real quick before we go to a break. When you put your bulbs in the fridge, let's say for example, and this is a true story. This lady mm-hmm. put some hyacinths in the refrigerator. Her son thought it was an onion. He Yuck. yep chopped this thing up. Uh, Ooh, used really? it as whatever he used it for and enjoyed the hyacinth. I'm no, he you, ate it? He ate the thing. Oh, so, that's so fortunate that he wasn't alert. tell the other household members that, hey, this is a bulb, not an onion. When we come back, we're going to let Jim talk after the break. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are doing just fine without me. Hey, 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 Jim, when we get back from the break, I'm gonna, and we've talked about this before, we're going to have a little talk about gypsum because I had a discussion yesterday. Mm-hmm. She brought it up to me, and someone had told her to do one thing, and I'm thinking, mm, mm. maybe not. They need to catch up with the, the new science. Mm. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be with us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, administrator of our Facebook group, retired nurseryman and just one heck of a nice guy. And no doubt about it, Jim. And this Facebook ah. group, uh, Mid-South Gardening Zone 6789. 10, 11, 12. 13, 14, 15. <laughs> and 6, one. 6, 7, and 8. 6, 7, 8. <laughs> 6, 7, 8. Not 9. You know, so, okay, so when we had the uh, company Christmas party... Uh, we had to uh, get up and announce, you know, who we were and For all sure. that. Oh, I just don't like doing that. We all work together. You know who I am. But yeah. I guess it was for the spouses and all. Yeah. So I get up and I uh, oh. can't remember the name of the show. <laughs> I'm Veda Vance with. I had our old, the old title for the garden came to my head. Yeah. From in, years back. In the garden. Right. In the garden. And then I'm remembering Mid-South Garden. And then all of a sudden I get the USDA zone, six, seven, eight, nine in my head. Or six, seven, eight. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah. <laughs> all in my head. And so they're all three. And I'm going, and I'm made advance with Zone Jim. Zone three. Jim, who what's the name of our <laughs> show? And Jim's like, Oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> this young lady out. That's uh, too funny. So. Had a uh, customer come into the garden center. And they um, have sold their house and moved into a newer, smaller home, okay? 
And one of the things that she's doing is creating some raised beds. And next year, she's going to do some of them in flowers and some of them in vegetables, okay? So she's got the framework built on the raised bed. So all she's got to do now is come back and add the new soil, mm-hmm. you know, and check the pH. Add some lime, probably. Put some good organic uh, compost in there. I told her about all this. And then, um, you know, putting some fertilizer, some garden tone or whatever, flower tone next year or even this year you can do it any time but one of the catches was the bottom the soil that she's putting the raised beds on is very hard and compact okay okay yeah so a guy told her put a one inch layer of gypsum in oh. the bottom of this raised bed before you put your new soil Whoa. in the raised bed. Because in theory, we all know that gypsum helps break down clay soil. Even when we thought gypsum's good, I've never heard that recommendation. So, and I remember <laughs> the discussions that we've had. I said, why don't you just go get a you know a thing of sheetrock and stick yeah. it down there? You know, be done with it. So, to, I mean, I'm going to tell her what I told her, but what, what are y'all thinking about putting in a layer of gypsum down in the bottom of the raised bed before she puts a new soil in. Big time no-no. And why would that be? Well, the most important reason is it's not going to do anything. <laughs> well, if anything, it's going to no, it's solidify and, 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 call and, and, and turn into like concrete. Yeah, it'll turn into just yuck. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is used in farming operations this is true. in the southwest to temporarily break up clay soil different type clay Mm. and this is one of those things where people think well you know if it works on a farm it'll work in my garden well that's not necessarily true um gypsum does not help your garden here it will we use gypsum like if you have a a a pond that is muddy Mm -hmm. uh, just throw gypsum in there and it will bind to that clay and pull it to the bottom we use it to seal leaks and and levees uh, it will not do good things in our clay soil. No. Okay. Now, in an elevated bed, because water is going to run through that, um, gravity is going to take it we, down. We, we talked about it's that. It's not going to help you drainage. Uh, I mean, it's just going to hit the surface of the clay or whatever that bottom layer is and run out the that's, bottom. That's exactly right. So That's the beauty of a raised bed. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's really not a good source of calcium. Um, chemically, it's calcium sulfate. Mm-hmm. Um, there are cheaper and better sources of both sulfur and calcium. Um, it's uh, just really a waste of, of money and time in our type soils, and I, particularly I, in home gardens. I have it's to agree. Nothing. And even if you did use gypsum and you did it the right way and worked it into the soil, well, Jim mentioned short-term effect. I mean, two months later, the, the clay is back to where it was to start yeah. with. I mean, it's just well, did it's, you it's get not long-term at all. And it will, you know, I mean, if you go in and just dig a hole, loosen the soil, add gypsum to it, put that same soil back into there, it's going to end up being a bowl of water. Yeah. Okay? Wow. Because water's not going to be able to, gypsum's going to fill those that little bit of airspace you've got in that clay underpan, and uh, it's... Uh, not going to be good. Well, but there again, it, it, to the point, like you said, it's one of those things where we've always heard that. And yes, the farmers, big ag companies, big ones, they use it for a particular reason. 
usually in a particular region of the country. But okay? they have to also do it quite frequently. I mean, it doesn't give them long-term no, no, results. No, it's only for about two months. I mean, that's it. Yeah, it helps them when they're plowing and breaking up the soil at planting time. Exactly. But it's like I told her, I said, you're much better off adding compost in mm-hmm. there, ground up leaf mold, whatever. Working so you've that in. got to get to her before this yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, no, because she was asking about it. Yeah, say I have that too. People come in and, and um, or call and ask if the instructions that they had gotten from their landscaper is contra- uh, correct and lots of times it's not oh, and you're yeah. just you're not saying they're wrong you're just saying yeah, they are. they're wrong yeah on that well, yes I mean, absolutely you should th- say they're wrong a, yeah a lot of um let's say people that operate out of pickup trucks um, they they really want to do the right thing. Yeah. They do a lot of reading, but that a lot of what you read does not pertain to our area. Yeah. Uh, in um, in pretty much everything <clears throat> that you read is coming from a writer, <clears throat> not from a gardener. Mm-hmm. Okay, most of these <laughs> people have assistants who look up information. They think it it sounds good. They mm-hmm. compile it. Makes a beautiful yeah. article with wonderful pictures. But mm. it's, it's fluff, and it's not always accurate. Yeah. Yeah, not back yeah you can read a whole article, and everything's really good and right on target, and then there's just one paragraph that just blows the whole thing out of, out of water where you're like, um, that paragraph, if they follow it, it's going to cause more damage than there, anything. There was a recent article written by a young lady who, who said that um, – Climate change is causing our, this was the title, climate change is causing the weather to be more severe. Why do they not talk about this in weather forecast? Well, the first thing is that first statement is absolutely false. So the person who was didn't really believe that went to the National Weather Service and said, is this true? And a lot of writers just confuse weather with climate climate is long term yeah you know (laughs) when you look at the last 30 years we are not having an increase in hurricanes tornadoes Uh hail high wind Mm -hmm. none of that is true we have some isolated drought areas okay Mm -hmm. um but it's overall it's it's nothing she said was true sounded good read well you know um but well it it, just wasn't there yeah, it goes like when you're reading about far history and they they can study all the soil content and all and tell you from, you know, 500,000 years ago, no, 200, 220, 2,000 years ago, whatever that they can look at the soil and see areas that were flush and lush and then they went through a drought and then they were lush again and they can see areas that are just totally desert now but they can find out where it used to be lush so everything's been changing all the time kind of sounds like my backyard (laughs) you know right right so guys if um yeah so i mean but then again i mean it's just this gentleman had told this young lady you know and i was like no 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 you you don't need to put a layer of anything down there like i said if anything you can get the little uh, tiller out and add Mm -hmm. some compost down there and work that in and don't even have to do that because like jim said it being a raised bed once the water hits the bottom the hard pan down there it's going to flow sideways and run out the bottom Mm -hmm. of the raised bed anyway so no gypsum y'all unless you're trying to keep water in your pond that's right for this area we're talking about but it's always good to like i told her you know add that compost in there and i don't care what kind of compost you're adding or Mm -hmm. using 
Make sure the pH is up where it needs to be. Typically, you need to put a little lime in there, especially if it's a vegetable garden, maybe once a year, and then put some nutrient value in there. Even though it's going to have nutrient value from the compost, a little fertilizer never hurts. And if you do all that, your soil is ready to go. You're ready to plant. But putting a... You know, a concrete, in fact, (laughs) you could even set this raised bed on top of a concrete slab and be successful. yeah, you sure Mm -hmm. could. You know, so it's it's no difference, but you didn't need that one inch layer of gypsum. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I was like, "Mm -mm, you don't need that. Yeah, you can totally do that. I knew someone that had a large patio, but they, and they needed just to garden in that area. They couldn't go out into the yard and all. And we just put raised beds on the patio, mm-hmm. on the, the edges, so, you know, things would roll, water and stuff like that would run off into the soil and all. But why not? I mean, it's like a container. Yeah. And what you're going to find, too, over the next couple of years, your crops are going to improve over two to three, four-year period because the soil is going to break down into smaller particles. Mm-hmm. You're going to have... Um, uh, better water and nutrient retention than you will when you put the first year of nice coarse stuff in there right and i I like to on raised beds every couple of years just come in there with like a half inch to an inch of dry clay just put it right on top and let it water in because the clay will leach out and Mm -hmm. go through the bottom you know if there's any in there and there should be uh, so it, uh, it really helps hold nutrients, uh, particularly right at the surface. And in most of these raised beds, that they're putting this new mm-hmm. soil in there. This new soil that you're buying, whether it's in bags or in bulk form, doesn't have a lot of clay in it. No. I know this sounds any. bizarre to say that, but I've never thought of it. And that's a really good idea because, okay, so what you're saying, we need the clay. We know that we need the clay to bond the nutrients so everything doesn't run out so quick. Right. But if we keep adding compost, then we've lost the clay. Right. So every couple of years. Yeah, just add some on top. I like it. We'll talk uh, more about this when we come back. You're listening to KWAM. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can um, stream us online. Um, You can listen to our podcast later. Also, we're Facebook Live, so you can post questions there, or you can call 260-5926. Yes, you can. All right, let's go to Sunite. Good morning. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Oh, wow. Where are you doing? Hey, Sunite. How are you doing, sir? Merry Christmas to you. Well, Merry Christmas to you too, brother. Yes, sir. What's going on this morning? Well, look, first, let me say, uh, 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 Jim, uh, 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 welcome back. Thank yes. you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's a good dose. Uh, <laughs> I got some cough syrup. I'll figure that right up. <laughs> I don't know how much realization you have to the uh, 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 situation, but, man, we we love you, Jim. We, we was, I sent out something uh, uh, synonymous to a prayer for you. Uh, and uh, I'm glad you got back, man. Well, thank you. And uh, we just still been wondering what you've been doing behind our back, man. <laughs> yeah, I was well, telling soon. I was telling Jim this morning. Every day, I've got somebody that comes into the garden center. I mean, every day, and you know, asking about Jim and glad. Uh, well, even when Jim wasn't here, they were asking about Jim. But every day, I've got people coming they in saying, saying they're glad he's back. So yeah, we are too, buddy. Well, anyway, uh, my my question uh, 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 for the. I got a, a, a table. It's a nice little table. I guess it's about what one, two, three, three feet by three feet. It's square. And I would like a. I got a real nice pot 
out there, and I would like to put a plant on, on top of this table that would grow as big as it possibly can. Where my company come in there and say, "Boy, is you growing dope?" <laughs> no, that ain't no marijuana. <laughs> what, you, what would you recommend? Now, yeah. is this table inside or outside? Inside, inside the kitchen. Okay, a big house plant. You can buy any house plant that's already grown a pretty good size if you want to go that way. Man, you should do like a monstera. How how much light do you have in there? Man, I got a a a a a, a bay window here. Uh-huh. It's facing the north. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's and I got another smaller window that's coming in from the east. Okay. Well, I would if if it were me, and if you want something that's going to canopy out that you might could possibly even sit under, then I would look like look at something like a chevalera. Uh, it's going to get yeah, it's going to get wide enough that it would give you that appearance. I mean, so many things that are low light tolerant, like Diffenbachias, just go straight up. Yeah, I mean, it's going to just look like a column. Uh, so, I, if you want something that's going to canopy out. Chefleur is one of the best options, um, and and really easy to grow. It is, yeah. yeah. And and if you you know if it finally gets too big, you can whack it off and it'll sprout right back out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a, a monstera on a table that is. It's you have to tie them up a lot of times mm-hmm. and they are so beautiful and easy to grow and they're very tolerant of different varieties of light too. So I love the chefalera and sometimes you can find them as umbrella plant right yeah and there's chefaleras that have small leaves and then there's chefaleras that get big leaves so make sure you get one that has the bigger leaves or you won't get that great draping like jim was talking about and then your monstera that you were talking about tonight is going to have a big leaf on it also mm-hmm. but they're easy to grow yeah. and they'll get hey they'll get um, they'll get big enough for you for sure i tell you what i, I need to, i'm just gonna come to the uh uh uh, Vayner Vance and see mm-hmm. what kind of varieties she could offer me because I'd rather see something already grown up big. Yeah. Oh, you've yeah. definitely yeah. got to come see me. We've got a lot she's, of... She's got uh, just as fine a Great, collection yeah. of, of houseplants <laughs> as you'll find. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, Sue Knight, always a pleasure. Appreciate you getting up early with us this morning. And, man, have a great weekend. Pretty good, man. Now, in the future, y'all need to do a lot of laughing. <laughs> 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 All right. Thanks, thanks Sue Knight. See you later. Okay. But yeah, he's so. just looking for a house plant that's going to look good on top of that table. I mean, need something to doctor mm-hmm. that table up, right? And Chefaleras <clears throat> don't like to be overwatered for sure. So that mm-hmm. would be something you wouldn't have to water a lot. I yeah. like that choice. And the Monsteras are easy to grow yeah, also. They are. You can <coughs> definitely see the difference of how any house plant, you know, it's like highlight is great. I mean, everything is going to grow really good in the the higher light situation. But the farther you get it away from the light, the Mm -hmm. the leggier they get and all. But it's really not a problem in the looks the farther you you get from the light. And a lot of times it gives you different forms and different looks. Oh, it does. You can have the same plant in the house, exactly the same plant. One of them gets all the light that it needs. The other one doesn't get it, you know, near enough light that it needs. 
and they look like different plants. Mm-hmm. They really do. Even though it's they're amazing. the same plant. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, you know, they'll come in and go, how come my Chef Valera or my, my or whatever type of plant doesn't look like this? And as you talk longer to them, it's farther away from the light. Just like, say, philodendrons, there's one called the uh, Brazilian, you know, that phil- philodendron. And I had it right, what was it, east window, just great light turning it on. The leaves mm-hmm. were big and beautiful and so then i decided to move it slowly move it back to a different section where it was lower light so it still did great but the leaves are much smaller Mm. and they're losing (laughs) some of that uh variegated look and it's nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. plant it's just that it just didn't it's not getting as much light as it used to and a lot of times they don't get quite the light that they really need but Mm -hmm. it doesn't kill them yeah but now there are some some of the house plants that will definitely just give up if you get them Do you farther. see, uh, and I'm not, you may not be familiar with this plant, Tubidanthus? Tubidanthus, no. Yeah. Okay. It, it looks exactly like, I'm going to show you a picture of it mm-hmm. here in a minute. It looks exactly like a Schefflera. Yeah. But the leaf is thicker. Ooh. It's a better house plant than mm-hmm. Schefflera is. Oh, good. Yeah, good. and it comes in variegated forms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't. And just looking, I still get availabilities, and I hadn't mm-hmm. seen one listed in a long time. Yeah. Ooh, but it's, uh, is it a hybrid Schiffler? No, no, it is. It's it's just different. Classification of its own. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, good. I'm always <laughs> looking for and something And you know, there unique. is a, there is a Schiffler that's actually winter hardy here. You know, I do know that, but that's... What what is it? Um, it's a Schaeffler. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think of the species in a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I have no. heard that. I was shocked, but that's, then I thought. I was handing my phone. That's oh, tubi- is that what that is? I always thought it was an arbicola. No, that's different. That's oh. whole, that's a different one. I like it. Yeah, this, it does it, look like a Schaeffleria, but does. big, thicker, greener. Actually, looks greener. Yeah, but darker. you're saying these, Jim, these are just as easy or easier. They're a to better, grow. better plant. They don't grow as fast as a Schaeffleria. That's the reason I think you see more Schaeffleriaes produced because mm-hmm. they can grow them quicker. Um, uh, but it is it's a much hardier plant. And how do you say this? Tubidanthus calyptridus. Tubidanthus calyptridus. Well, that's fairly close. I know. (laughs) That's like like me uh, learning to speak Spanish from the guys at work. I'm teaching English. They're teaching Spanish. We're doing really good. But it's um, me pronouncing words because I'm like, I don't even pronounce uh, English words well. And now I'm trying... (laughs) To pronounce uh, Spanish words? <laughs> yeah, I took four years of Spanish, and what they taught me was nothing like what they speak in uh, real life. Exactly. <laughs> and then I have to, they're, then they're all teaching me in different dialects, even even the older person dialect and the younger person dialect. Yeah. Like, y'all, y'all stop. But we're getting there. We're getting there. But when we get back from the break, I uh, had a customer call me yesterday, and he wanted to know, you know, there's these insects that bore into the trunks of trees and other mm-hmm. things and limbs, especially dogwoods and cherry trees, and they're called boars, right? Well, he gave me a call yesterday, and he said, man, have boars gotten really smart? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not sure what we're talking yeah. about here. So I'll explain what he meant by that. Smart boars. And, you know, boars are not good. You don't want boars in your trees for sure. So, um, and well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. In this yeah. case, instead of, and he sent me a picture, and mm-hmm. he, he had, it's a picture of an ash tree. It's the trunk of the tree. And it had these holes, like in horizontal lines, okay? Mm-hmm. Just perfectly, looks like somebody got a drill and went out there and drilled holes right in a line. 
Well, this gentleman thought it was boars doing mm-hmm. that, and for all the right I reasons. I see why, yeah. Yeah, but really what it is is the old yellow-bellied sapsucker. <laughs> it's, a, it's a woodpecker that gets mm-hmm. out there, and he'll pick a hole in the trunk of that tree just down to the sap line, and he's, you know, licking the sap out of there. But he does it in grids, and it, it is, it's amazing if you've never seen it to, to see the grid work that they do. Uh, and, you know, usually they're not going to really harm Mm-mm. the tree, for se, no. unless they just— because they'll keep coming back to that mm-hmm. same tree year yeah, after year. Yeah, year after year. They can now, if they girdle the whole tree, of course mm-hmm. it's going to do some damage to that thing. But in this case, uh, no, it wasn't a boar. Now, it still doesn't hurt to go out there— uh, once or twice a year and spray that wounded area with a, just a generic insecticide like a permethrin or a spinosad. And all that's going to do is just kind of keep the insects out of the holes that this yellow-bellied sapsucker has created, right? Uh, and to keep it as healthy as you can. And then but, he comes back and goes, where's all the dead bugs that I was uh, no, Veda, But I mean, and I wouldn't worry about it unless I had a fairly large grid yeah, that he had right. created. You know, just two or three lines of holes in the trunk of the tree. I'm not going to worry about that. But I've seen it where they're, I mean, they're a really big grid mm-hmm. that they can, can make. But if you're seeing these holes and it looks like somebody's drilling these things in the side of your tree in these perfectly straight lines, uh, that's going to be the old yellow-bellied sapsucker. Yeah. But he was so glad to hear that it wasn't boar damage. Right. You know, exactly. he's like, oh, I can take the bird. Yeah, this is no problem. That is. I just didn't want boars in this tree. I had watched a show on woodpeckers. I did not know how big they could get. I did not know how many there were at all. I think a lot of people actually watched this show, but it has showed the progression over a large amount of years of how woodpeckers go back to the same tree every season. And it was riddled, but still alive because there was enough of the cambium layer and all to keep taking the nutrients to yeah, and it. Usually, but eventually yeah, yeah i mean usually they callous back over and you're fine but of course anytime you have holes in the trunks of anything i've seen it on hollies and trees and other things that these yellow-bellied sap suckers have done it does open it up for more insect and disease potentially problems mm-hmm. i'm not saying you're going to have that problem if you if you've had yellow-bellied sap suckers but it does open it up for uh, more disease and more insect problems but like I said, in this case, this guy was almost giddy that it wasn't boars, because we all know boars are not good it's, in trees. It would dra- uh, kill it much faster than that woodpecker yeah, Usually would. by the time you realize you've got them, the damage is done. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That yeah. is true. All right, one more break, and we'll be right back, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Call us 260-5926 or post a question on our Facebook uh, live page right now. And, you know, anytime you can post a picture and question on our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zones 6, 7, and 8. And uh, and someone will answer it quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you (laughs) tag my name in there or tag uh, Kenneth and Veda, and I'll get the question to them. All right, guys, I got a question for both of y'all is uh, with cold weather coming up, and we've already experienced some cold weather, uh, is using plastic the best product ever to cover your plants up with, including your evergreens? Just, co- yeah, just lay that plastic up there. Best one ever, you said. Yep. Uh, no, it would be the other way. It's the worst one ever. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes. a thank you, Jim, because I mean, everybody thinks that, let's say at gardenias, for example, you know, we've got these prized gardenias. They've been in the ground for 20-something years, uh, and we know that we're on the northern line for this uh, old-fashioned gardenia. And in fact, in this case, it might be a mystery in Argus Beauty. 
Uh, those varieties aren't quite as winter hardy as some of the newer hybrids out there. So the first thing you hear people, what they want to do is go out there and just cover these things with plastic. And tell me why that is the worst thing you could possibly do. Well, a lot of it has also has to do with the way you do it. If you tent it so that it's, you know, goes from ground all the way over to ground or close to it, uh, the next day, whether it's cloudy or not, and the sun comes up, it will increase the temperature in there just like a greenhouse. Right. And it gets quite warm in there. Uh, Immediately. Yes. And it doesn't take much to stimulate bud growth. Uh, and, and it also keeps the plants from hardening off, prevents lignin formation. Um, so if you had to use plastic, then what you would want to do if you've got, say, a hedge of gardenias you want to block is lay it on top, leave the back open, away from from uh, possible frost damage or anything like that, cover the front, and that will help block the wind because the wind is what's doing the damage in the cold. At night, it will be just as cold under that plastic as it is outside the plastic. So it doesn't help you. It doesn't retain any heat. You know, I see lots of people say, I want to put a greenhouse in my backyard. And they think just by covering something with plastic that it's going to hold heat through the night. Right. And it's not going to do it. I mean, it's going to get bitterly cold in there just like outside. Yeah. And I've also seen where people will cover plants with plastic and they'll let the plastic actually touch the tissue of the plant. Right. And it, when it gets cold, it's, it, it is actually just directing that cold temperature directly to that foliage if the plastic is touching uh, the foliage. So if you're ever going to use plastic as protection, you do not want the plastic to touch the foliage of the shrub or the plant that you're putting it on or around. Okay. I mean, you can build supports and have bamboo stakes or whatever and drape it. All of that is fine, uh, but you can't and you do not want that plastic just touching the foliage of the plant. Now, there are some good products out there. For example, like the, uh, the, uh, the frost cloths. You know, a frost cloth is a very lightweight uh, woven cloth that you can drape right on the plants. You can drape it from the top of the plant down to the ground. It will hold a little uh, heat in there. Unlike, you know, plastic, it's not turning into a hot greenhouse overnight. Uh, it doesn't hurt if it touches the foliage of the plant. So, you know, we see that so many times where with cold weather coming, winter's going to be mm -hmm. here sooner or later, that people are pulling that plastic out, and they're actually doing more damage using plastic. They're trying to do the right mm -hmm. thing. I get it. But they're actually doing more damage to their plants than if they had done nothing at all. Yeah, particularly if you put it on there and leave it. That's really, really bad for the plant. Well, it's kind of like it, it, I told you the story where my sweet sister had a lot of tropicals, okay? And they got all these tropical plants, palm trees, hibiscus, I mean, down the line, just lots of tropicals. And they put them inside this gazebo that's in the ba on the backyard, in the backyard. And then they wrapped the around uh, this gazebo with nothing but plastic, Okay. And I'm telling you, y'all, it got so hot and so humid in there overnight. It actually started to rain in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was dripping. And you opened this thing up, and it was like this a week later, okay? And it was like this just just Ew. fungal vat. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was horrible. So yeah. all that stuff had to get thrown away. They had to decontaminate oh. everything, you know, wash all the mm -hmm. I mean, it was horrible, guys. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, I mean, but oh that's, that's what will happen, though. It, it had mm -hmm. no ventilation whatsoever. It was just wrapped up tight. It was holding all that heat in there. It was cooking in there. And then you had all that humidity in there. 
uh, and it created just a huge fungal environment. Wow. It, it was, I mean, I saw it firsthand. So my point is, you know, with cold weather coming up, a nice layer of mulch on the ground will surely help insulate the roots. I don't mind using things like the frost jackets or the frost cloths, and you can buy those at your independent garden centers. It does a much better job of not only keeping the frost off these tender plants, but it holds that heat in also. And you can leave it on there. You don't have to take it off every day. You don't have to worry about venting uh, those products like you do plastic. So be careful when you're using plastic. So you're saying the cloth can be better than the plastic. Absolutely. But also the cloth, as it says, is a frost cloth. It is not a freeze protector. Okay. (laughs) Um, If it goes to 10 degrees, don't matter much what you cover it with unless it's a heating pad. (laughs) So it's it's still going to get cold under there. Well, but I'd at least rather see people not do further damage trying to do the Mm -hmm. right thing and they're always doing further damage it seems to me when they're using plastic i don't know of a lot of good reasons other than lining a walkway before you put gravel on it to use plastic and even then i'd use landscape fabric i wouldn't use plastic um so and even and then the old days you know when we used to do black plastic gardens we used to sell a world of black plastic and and, and they're again not the best thing in the Mm -hmm. world to use Uh, so there's not going to be a lot of uses for us as gardeners to use a a plastic product whether it's in the ground on the ground or especially on your shrubs when it starts Mm -hmm. to get really cold and we've done some really quick fixes um many greenhouses at the garden centers before uh one section where there's a wooden uh, wooden fence and so pushed and bunched all the plants together kind of in the corner stapled the plastic to the top above the plant not touching the plants not t- yeah. yeah made sure it was high enough <laughs> used two rakes to hold the uh, tops Whatever up works <laughs> and then anchored the bottom around with the rocks to hold it down but the the rakes mm. were holding the plastic up so it wouldn't touch the plant so then i got a, a good little insulation for a little while there was a <coughs> quick fix but i we used the rakes to hold them up yeah well good mulch you know mulch at root system in really good and and a lot of times we'll see some winter damage and we go in there in the spring when everything flushes out and selectively cut out what's damaged or dead now, there are some plants, you know, that are very susceptible. You know, I mentioned gardenias. You know, a couple of years ago, you know, we went from a 48-degree day to a 10-degree mm-hmm. night. And it's not really just the cold that can affect these plants. It's the sudden drop in temperatures yeah. that a lot of times would do these plants in. But my point is, even a lot of these gardenias that were killed to the ground, if they were really well mulched in, a lot of them still came yeah. back from the root system. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, the fun, the thing about doing it in the garden center is it's so bizarre, not bizarre, but amazing here because it's freezing, freezing cold, like we say, and then we're going to have another month of pretty nice weather, and then people are out wanting to plant and all. So you're kind, you're saving some of the foliar damage by protecting it that way, and not so much if it was really freezing, yeah. the plastic wouldn't keep the root balls yeah, from freezing. So stay away from the plastic, guys. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us this morning. Get your coffee and your tea and get your gardening questions together. 
you can call in to 605-926. You can post it on Facebook Live or you can call our board's op, Philip, and he will give you some um, or you can give him some information and he can put it up on the screen so you don't have to actually talk on the radio. But it's not scary. They can't see you. A lot of different ways to get in touch with (laughs) us, you know. So um, I got a question for you guys. Okay. And I had a lady ask me this question. This is the time of year, you know, the Christmas holidays, that a lot of people are putting lights on their shrubs, okay, Mm -hmm. and sometimes trees. And whether it's incandescent lights or whether it's the new LED lights, or I say new, they've been around forever, but people are starting to use more LED lights than ever now because they're more plentiful than even incandescent. And her question was, does it hurt the plant? Well, you know, I've never, ever had to diagnose a damage of Christmas tree lights on plants, but I would say as a whole, no, That's but exactly is it, right. there's, would there be any reason? No, I mean, it, not, not that I, I could ever think. see, and I've you know, read about this. Now, you know, night lights can have some effect mm-hmm. on say a tree that's been you know that's going to be there for 30 or 40 years okay or does it mess the blooming cycle up but but just just christmas lights on uh trees and shrubs you know the only damage that's really going to occur is the damage that we we do trying to put them on or get them off (laughs) you know because there's there's not enough heat generated Mm -hmm. uh to really cause a you know a good or bad effect whatsoever uh, the light itself is not affecting the photosynthesis or anything like that. Uh, even if you left them on every day year round, it's just uh, it, it's just not going to affect those plants. But but she was concerned because she had heard or read where whoa whoa <laughs> you got to be careful using these, especially the LED lights because they have a different light spectrum than the incandescent lights, and it's doing crazy things to our trees and shrubs. And I'm thinking, where's all this coming from? You know, where where does it start? Mm-hmm. Where who talks about this stuff? Uh, but all the research I've done is absolutely no. You're fine. Whether you want to use LED or incandescents, whether you want to put it on your gardenia or your hollies, it makes no difference whatsoever. It's not going to do any damage w- at all. Unless y'all have heard or read something different than I haven't. No, you know, the old incandescents, the, the what were they, L9s? The, the C, and C7s and C9s. C7s and C9s. Yeah. They generated a lot of heat. Yeah, they'll burn you. They'll, they'll burn your hands. You know, <laughs> they can burn foliage easily, but uh, all the new stuff, you nah. know. We're and, all good. And we're looking go. at a very short period of time. Right. Now, like Kenneth said, some lights can't have an effect on plants. Uh, for instance, I've seen a number of dwarf Alberta spruces where we're planted near a gas light that comes on every night, right. and the backside of it will die off in that light. It it needs to have that dark photo period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and in fact, you know, at the botanic gardens when I worked there, there was uh, they they have their their uh, light show like everybody else's zoo and 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 Shelby Farms and so forth. And uh, they wanted to move it into the the forested area, and Rick Pudwell, uh, the hort director at the time, was dead set against that because, as much as they run them, and as bright as the lights mm-hmm. are, it can affect some plants. But we're talking about massive light mm-hmm. displays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Big you know, difference. Ones that you have to kind yeah. of turn away from to look where at. Could, Put your sunglasses you can, on. You can you know? read a book in it. Yeah, yeah, right. And that that's a little different. Uh, but no, it's it, it, regular uh, Christmas lights are not going to do any. So what if I, not for burning 
burning plants and a whole different situation. Christmas lights wrapped around a tender plant and then a frost cloth over that. Well, like Jim said, you know, unless you're using the C7s or the C9s, the old-fashioned screw-in ceramic or clear bulb-type mm-hmm. lights that generate heat, these other ones aren't going to make Just any not difference. They're yeah. not going to generate enough heat to, to waste your time. Do it for that reason, yeah, Beta. Yeah, yeah. No. We'll find then. Oh, you know what, though? Uh, Master Gardener calendars need to think about getting those for great Christmas gifts before they run out. They're usually out by Christmas a lot of times, and there's only so many made. And so if you're not getting them uh, by sooner than later, you may miss it. Yeah, what happens with the Memphis area Master Gardener calendars? You know, you independent garden centers, we buy them. We've got them, Beta. You've got them. We've got them on our front uh, counter ready to go and people come up there and and we're selling them but the problem is for some kind of tax reason or whatever after a certain date we can't buy any more yeah they only have as as a nonprofit they only have a 30 day period where they can they can actually sell them right now if you buy mm-hmm. them on i think the deadline this year is like the 16th or something well i think Jamie just sent us up the correct date is february the 18th February, not no, the 25th. So should be December. I, I think that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. December the 15th. If you, if you they have them or Veda has them uh, in stock, they can sell yeah, them. We can whenever. sell. We can sell them but, up to July. Yeah, but. yeah. But they would not be able to buy any more from the um, publisher. From, from, yeah. Well, from the Memphis area from, Master Gardeners. Yeah. Oh, okay. So my point is, if you go, if you want one of these great calendars, try to get them sooner than later, because a lot of times when they're out. When the retailer that's selling them is out, they're out mm-hmm. because there is a cutoff date where we can't buy any more. So, and we had uh, you know Jan and and Jamie and uh, and um, who was up here, um, Jenny. Jenny, thank yeah. you, uh, talking about this calendar a couple of weeks ago, guys. And I'm telling you, if you've never had one in your hands, it's got great photos in there. It's all local. Uh, information. It's got great information in these calendars. This one has garden myths, garden bed preparation, controlling critters, kitchen gardening, planting and harvesting guide, monthly gardening activities, dates of each month's public gardening events, and man, so much more that you can't even write it all down. Uh, something about uh, online content, including demystifying hydrangeas. Now, is demystifying hydrangeas a variety, or is no, they're, they're just talking about why some people plant them and can't get them to bloom? Well, why is that, Jim? Well, a lot of times it's pruning. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to cut them after really. I feel like July first. Uh, but mo- more importantly, is you don't want to plant them where they're exposed to morning sun. Now we're talking about the mop heads, the the um, PGs that bloom in the middle of the summer with the big white blooms that turn red or pink or green or whatever. Uh, those bloom on new wood, so it doesn't matter where you plant those. And the okay? limelight, they the like limes, yeah, yeah, they like to be in the sun. They'll bloom better in sun than they will. But you can grow them in the shade. But the old fashioned hydrangeas, old fashioned pink and blue mop heads, and and their whites and reds now too. Those need to be protected from morning sun, and it's just because of where we're at. You can grow them south of here, you can grow them north of here, and they do just fine. Okay. Go figure. But here, because our our soil freezes and thaws, if we get a little warm spell in January or February, which we, which we quite often do, we do. Uh, they think, oh, it's springtime. They're shallow-rooted plants, so they very quickly begin to sprout. And if that bud has 
come out. It, no flower color. I mean, you can't hardly see the bud. If it's exposed and you've got a few leaves popping and you've got a frost on it, when that morning sun hits it, it causes uneven uh, thawing and it will just blast that flower apart. Can so I put frost cloth over? You if, could put frost cloth I, if over. I'm do- if I'm done. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, if it goes again, goes to 15 degrees, probably ain't going to do much yeah. good. Okay. Of course, I don't want to have to create anything to do extra work. Right. But if by chance the hydrangeas are planted where it's getting morning sun, work with the frost cloth. Yeah. So we told people for years, plant them on the north side of the house. It doesn't have much to do with the shade. It has mm-hmm. to do with that being the coldest ground because the sun is on the back side of the house it doesn't warm up as quickly the if you put a couple of inches of mulch on them it helps moderate that temperature mm-hmm. but it keeps that bud from swelling so early in the season well and this is like you said jim this is the black hole of horticulture when it comes to a spot to grow the old-fashioned hydrangeas they don't want to be here period mm-hmm. i mean the, the the weather that we have uh you know going through the winter into spring and then even our summers. I mean, it, it, it's, they, they hate being here, but we love them. So we st- we're going to plant them. And they and, do well for hating it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, you, and it seems like, you know, some years you can have so many bloom. I mean, you look around mm-hmm. town, and when they're in bloom, they're blooming everywhere. And then there's some years where you hardly see any of them blooming. And a lot of that is it's all weather related it is it's like you can uh, equate that to all kinds of things like our fall color we've got great fall color right now one of the best years i can remember yeah but usually we're having our fall color early and our leaves are all dropped by now (laughs) okay another break and y'all get your questions together we'll love to hear them we'll be right back 260-5926 Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. Hey, what color does a coral bark maple here turn fall color? What fall color does a coral maple bark turn? It's kind of a reddish-yellow, the coral bark. Yeah. And then the once the foliage falls off, the beauty of it is the stems mm-hmm. and the trunk are, you know, they turn just red. Yeah, you know, I was looking that up to try to get exactly... To make sure, because some places it's yellow, some it could be orange, and I know, I think it just depends on the type of fall we get, but which one is really bright orange now? That's probably the sugar maple? Uh, Sugar maple is usually a mix. Or or it could be an October glory. That's got to be what it is, because those are so... Because you don't see a lot of sugar maples here. Okay, good. Because don't they have, like, are they a weaker tree and more evasive roots? And, and they're more more adapted to colder areas. Oh, interesting. You know, we do have a southern, there's one, a southern sugar maple. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I bought a few through the years at yeah. the nursery, and, and they just didn't sell that right. well. Because I've never, ever ordered a sugar maple tree. I've not even seen them on availabilities for our areas. Yeah. So, I, but I was thinking, what but, is that orange color? October glory. Maples more are are beautiful. They have wonderful fall oh, color. Gosh, I'm loving them. Right I had a lady now. come into the garden center the other day, Veda. She was driving down uh, a street. She actually saw a maple. Uh, it had beautiful fall color. In this case, it was more of a red. Okay, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was the blaze or the improved blaze, but it was one of those red fall colored maples. In her mind, it was so beautiful, she stopped and mm-hmm. took a picture yeah. of it and actually showed me the picture. Yeah. Uh, and she said, you know, I mean, this is a tree that during the growing season, you wouldn't pay two cents mm-hmm. 
you wouldn't give it a second thought. But fall comes around, and they really show that those colors. I mean, it made her stop her car. Yeah. But that's how beautiful some of these maples are, uh, you know, during the fall. I mean, you can't beat a maple, period. No. I love them. Um, love maples. And there's, gosh, you could get a maple for every area. And then... Also, a great fall color right now. Notice are the oak leaf hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. I saw saw some in the greenhouse that hadn't lost their foliage yet, and the fall color is incredible. And it made me think of it looking at your at the Mid South Gardening Facebook page. And also, uh, I think this year uh, burning bush has been prettier than I've seen it in many years. Love love them. I mean, yeah. there again, it's just one of those shrubs that you don't pay any attention to until fall when those mm-hmm. leaves start turning blood red before they fall off. Uh, it's a great. And you're yeah. talking about a plant that's easy to grow. If you you can't kill a burning bush. Hey, I had a uh, a tree in the garden center that, with all this rain and everything, I don't or the wind, something fell off and broke the limb. It's on a Japanese maple. It's <clears throat> it's connected to the central leader right at the top. So I'm going. I've lifted it up. And it fits back together perfectly. And then I put the green uh, gardener's tape around it to hold it to try to get it to heal over. A lot of times it will. Yeah. yeah. How long was the damage before you did the repair? Um, Two days. Might so. not. You get that air in there and it dries that yeah, tissue. Yeah, worried maybe about iffy. That. We'll just try, try it. Yeah, yeah, we'll just try it and see. Well, you know, one of the things that we see this time of year, guys, with all the house plants being inside, of course... Uh, you know, typically you just can't leave house plants outside this time of year. It just gets mm-hmm. too cold. So they're all inside. And, you know, like everybody else, the one thing that we always do is keep our house plants typically too wet. I don't know why we do it. We just all do it. Or we don't have the right drainage or we're using the wrong soil. But it, it, the bottom line is the soil is just staying too wet. And we all know, uh, other than, you know, root rot and fungal problems, you can also get fungus gnats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fungus gnats are these little flying insects. And, you know, they come out of the soil, the wet soil. And that's why we have them, because our soil is staying too wet. And they get around your ears, your eyes, and nose when you're trying to watch TV. You know, it's just a nuisance pest is all it is. Uh, and I was talking to there again a lady the other day that had fungus gnats in her house. And I said, look, a couple of things. One is, it's simple. Cut back on the water. Just don't have these houseplants as wet as they have been. If you've been watering once a week, then maybe go to like every 10 days or two weeks, okay? So cut back on the moisture. The second thing is there are these little things called mosquito bits. Mosquito bits are nothing more than bacillus. It's just oh, they're a, not pieces of mosquitoes? No, no. <laughs> mosquito bits. Get it later. Uh-huh. So it's just, a, it's just this little granulated product that you sprinkle in the soil and walk away. Um and it will kill the larva of these uh, fungus gnats. So if in everybody that has house plants, especially people that keep them too wet, you know what I'm talking about. So do those two things. Uh, cut back on that moisture. Uh, make sure that soil is not staying as wet as it has been. And then sprinkle these little mosquito bits. And there's other mm-hmm. products, but this is the easiest one for me. Right. Sprinkle these mosquito bits in there. Water that in. And you'll get rid of that uh, that larva yeah. that's... Uh, Maggots. This, this, well, I maggots. didn't want to say that this early in the morning, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is causing these dang fungus gnats uh, to fly around your ears, your nose, and your mouth uh, when you're sitting right. there trying to watch TV. And there's um, more to more reasons to turn your plants every time you water than just <clears throat> trying to keep them to grow upright or full all around. 
is the fact that if you don't ever turn a plant, it just seems like when it, it's true. When you water, you're always watering right there in that same spot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's most of the time, mm-hmm. then you end up with that spot always good and saturated yeah. and the water's never getting quite to the other side. And so one side of your plant will rot and then it'll eventually, you know, carry on to rot the entire plant or your soil just gets compacted from constantly doing this uh, watering right in that section. So try to water when we're saying evenly, we're meaning all around the top or at least turn your plant every time you water. So you're just not watering one side. And then that's where you can get bad readings on with your moisture meter because you're always putting the, the meter right where you're watering. So, and then, so one girl was like, It's showing wet, wet, yeah, wet, yeah. wet. And so one of the girls was like, this thing doesn't work. I put it over here and it's wet. And then I moved it to the other side and it's dry. And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, you're not turning your plant. And if you read it on this side, it's wet. And if you read it on the other side, it's dry. So um, that's why you're not watering well. You're watering uneven. God, I yeah. know there's and so what many do y'all? And, and I really think moisture meters. I mean, I like them. You mm-hmm. know, I've heard people say, "Ah, you don't need a moisture mm-hmm. meter." Just you stick do your finger. if you're watering 200 plants. Yeah, eight now. If you've got one one <laughs> pot in your house in yeah. your living room and, and one house plant in that one pot, yeah, you no, you probably it. don't need a moisture meter. But if you've got a lot of them, like Veda, like we do, and you do, of course, and you're trying to check the moisture in a lot of different pots, mm-hmm. it's just an easy way to right. do it. Well, and, and also the moisture meter at first is be- very beneficial, but a lot of times if you're, well, like at the garden center, we're always turning our plants. They're leaving, yeah. they're leaving. But if you're in your home, you use a moisture meter and you learn how to water and then you learn your plants and you may not have to use the moisture meter every time. Well, it's very, it's very beneficial. I promise you that. Because at first I'm like, I know how to water. I've been watering 30 years plants i don't need any help indoor and outdoor plants are totally different now and, and you know we always talk about with poinsettias in particular because a lot of people have poinsettias in their homes this time of year that would like to use just uh, room temperature water or even dechlorinated water as far as mm-hmm. that goes uh, on your house plants jim and veda do y'all prefer a particular water in other words do you let water set out overnight to dechlorinate do you use uh, cold water right out of the tap? Do you care? I mean, what's the mm-hmm. deal with just the water itself? You know? You got a recommendation, Jim? Um, well, for most plants, I don't think the using a dechlorinator or letting it sit overnight is even necessary. So, so, that, so yeah. most of that you just don't Agreed. even have to worry about. Right. right. A lot of the chlorine <laughs> in the process of just watering mm-hmm. uh, evaporates out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, there are some plants, particularly some of the car- coniferous plants, that really don't appreciate chlorine. Yeah. Uh, so those you can use distilled water or mm-hmm. use rainwater. Uh, but I have, on occasion, used chlorinated water you know, to water them when that was my only option. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and it's better than letting them die. Uh, so they don't go bad overnight, usually, if you have to water it. Yeah. Right. And I, and I still don't like the idea of using just frigid cold water and no it should be room temperature yeah because it also makes yeah. you think about you know we've always heard you know for a hundred years that you can get ice cubes and put them in your orchid pot and that's just an easy way to water your orchids well if you do a little research on that they say absolutely not why would any orchid root want ice cubes laying mm-hmm. on top of it <laughs> you know yeah it might be an easy way to water but it's a horrible way to water orchids and we've all heard it's the uh-huh. best way to do it 
You know, I so why? Well, because it's cold. Well, there are some yeah. orchids like the Phalaenopsis that need some chilling to to really bloom well. Uh, that's not the way I would do it. You know, not <laughs> with ice. I mean, I just put them in the window and pull the shear around them and let them cool from yeah. the the winter wind to do it. Um, but it's simple mm-hmm. just to lay an ice cube on there yeah. and let it melt. But just like you were talking about, you're going to get one side wet. Yeah. The other side is not going to be wet. Yeah. You know, and they're epiphytes. They don't need the soul. They don't need whatever's in there. All they need is something to attach to. And that can be a rock. Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> you know, but they have to have that water. So it's to me, you, you water better with just like you said, take mm-hmm. your plant to even to the sink and yeah. turn yeah. it and water the whole thing all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but it was made me think that a lot of people still use really cold water when they're watering uh, you know, just their house plants. Ah, just general rule of thumb. Just room temperature water. You can let it set up overnight to dechlorinate if you want. And like Jim was saying, there are some house plants that won't dechlorinated water. Okay, yeah. so keep that in mind. But ice cubes, you know, just, save, save those for the glass with the ice tea. We use the tap water with a little fertilizer and move on, exactly. but not cold. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all can join us this morning. Oh, there was one other thing about houseplants. I saw a picture of where one person took some fairy lights and wound them through their philodendron. It's like, oh, okay, we put lights on shrubs outside. Why not put lights on houseplants inside? Of course they can. But, of course, my mother always put white lights on ficus trees. I just remembered uh, that. We used to do yeah. that also. In fact, the ficus tree... Uh, way back when, when I first moved out of the house, that was really our all-purpose tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. During Christmas, it was a Christmas tree. Yeah. During yeah. the rest of the year, it was just a ficus nice tree. house plant. Mm-hmm. And to this day, my old roommate still has that ficus yes. tree. And it's in a, what now is in custom-made containers. Every wow. 10 years, he has to rebuild this big mm-hmm. wooden container. Yeah. He moves it around from, uh, you know, twice a year. He gets it out of the storage and into the, uh, where in the sun, and then from the sun back into storage, uh, spring and fall, depending on the uh, on the season. But my point is, he sets it on a pallet and moves it around with a forklift. Yeah. that's wow. how big this ficus has got, y'all. So yeah, those ficus can do that. My mother had one. It was like when they first got their house, and it was five inches tall. I guess is what she said, and then eventually. 40 years later, of course, yeah. we keep pruning it back so it stays out of the ceiling. Yeah, I mean, ficus want to get big. You go down to, you know, Key West, they're huge down yeah, there. They, they Usually are. around here, we don't keep them long enough. We kill them before mm-hmm. they get even, you know, a problematic yeah. big size. But no, this thing is probably, you know, 20 foot tall, 15 foot wide. It's got a trunk on it. It looks like a small, I mean, it looks like a tree. Well, it is a tree. Well, I mean, it is. You know, it gets 100 <laughs> feet tall. Yeah, but, it, but, but he, it, 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 he's become... It's one of those things where he doesn't want to deal with it anymore, uh-huh. but he's had it for so long that it's almost like a pet. Yeah, you know, you can't just get rid of it. Gosh, so he's imagine. he's stuck with with taking care of this thing. Yeah, so, that's what a lot of people don't realize that most of the houseplants that we have are just seedlings. Yeah, they're baby mm-hmm. somethings. Yep, yep. you know, <laughs> yeah. a philodendron or is going to get huge. 
I know this. Yeah, Monstera you're right. Monstera is going to grow 100 feet up into yeah. a tree. Yeah. You know? Or the pothos, like a lady came in the garden yeah. center yesterday and she said, um, well, you know, there's different varieties of pothos. I mean, they look, there's a different variety of this pothos. There's this one that has a little leaf and then there's one that looks just like it that has a really big leaf. I saw it when I was in Hawaii. And I'm like, no, it's the same plant, mm-hmm. but in Hawaii, it grows outside like a vine, like we grow, and the leaves get humongous. If same you, plant. If it just, can grow upward continually, it gets big leaves. Yeah. But if it grows downward, the leaves get smaller. Absolutely. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. So, I mean, we become attached, and you start naming your house plants. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you can't just discard them. You can't get rid of them. You know, so you'll do anything in the world it takes to, to keep this thing alive and healthy. So, and we all fall victim to that. Um, they and they mm-hmm. uh, Jim uh, talking about house plants. Uh, my house plant of the week is the uh, Norfolk pine, and why am I saying that? Because this is the time of year. Of course, a lot of times in the garden centers that you'll see these Norfolk pines. You're talking about putting lights on trees. You know, a lot of people will light up the Norfolk pines uh, and and use those as a Christmas tree. Now, it's a it is a tree. And do y'all know where the Norfolk pines actually come from? Yeah. They come from an island off the coast of Australia, don't they? Bing, he gets the, yep. the 100 points. And it's, that is the only plant that is native to that island. Well, and that's the only place Norfolk pines come from mm-hmm. is Norfolk Island off the coast of Australia. Jim, I'm already mm-hmm. tired of you this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting everything right. But you're right. I mean, and, and that is a big industry for them because they ship these things all over the world. And that's the only place they come from, unless you're doing tissue cultures, mm-hmm. you know. But And they get like 200 feet They tall. do. They yeah. do. But it's, it's a cool little plant. They're so hardy indoors oh they are that's that's my point if and you, oh my word i've done everything wrong to one of them and they're beautiful mm-hmm. so if you want a easy to grow um uh, looking tree mm-hmm. inside your house and you can take it outside in the summer just like we do spring and summer and fall and bring it back in in the winter like we do a lot of our other house plants uh the norfolk pine and there again and I, I like its cousin which is monkey puzzle I tree. I knew it. Aracaria yeah. bedwillia. Yeah, I've, which, I, I've which, seen some beautiful monkey monkey there puzzle one trees. growing here. No, that's a different plant. The one that looks like it that grows uh-huh. here is a Cunninghamia fir. Okay, so uh, but nice. they look very very similar mm-hmm. and just as brutal if you yeah. get into them. Yeah. Um, um, but they are uh, to me they're they're just a stunning tree. Of course, they have cones on them they are conifers that are like 10 pounds a piece and they have been known to kill people when they fall so So, you know don't play up under that tree whatever you do right there's i think there's on mendenhall i believe there's one Mm -hmm. there was a um, a landscape architect sometime in the early 1900s that liked cunninghamia firs and he planted them a lot around town um, there's some gem right there at Shady Grove and White Station also. Yeah. That's where there. I yeah. saw yeah. And, yeah. and they grow perfectly straight up, mm-hmm. uh, just like a telephone pole, dark green, mm-hmm. evergreen. The, but when the, the leaves actually fall, yeah. which they do, mm-hmm. uh, they're dry, and you, they will slice you seven mm-hmm. ways to Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> they will. Uh, yeah. But now what not about— Not for your front yard. Even yeah. I don't think they knew how, how it was going to be when some of them no. were planted. Right. Yeah, yeah but, so, but the Norfolk pine, you're not going to have any you know sharp tissue on there. You're not going to have any cones on there, as far as I know, unless you 
let it get old enough, Jim, yeah, they, to where they will produce a cone, but not likely as a houseplant. Yeah, and it's not going to be like a thirty-pound cone that's going to hit you in the head yeah. and hurt you. So, well, that's like okay, everybody growing up when uh, everyone had a Christmas cactus and everyone had a Norfolk pine and a also. poinsettia and a Christmas tree. Of course, you got to have those four. Right. Yeah, but those are the ones: the Norfolk and the uh, Christmas cactus are one that you see all year long in people's houses that are just kind of pushed to the back until the season happens. But isn't that weird, though, that the plant is native to that only that one island mm-hmm. in the entire world yeah. uh, in this Norfolk Island? And you wonder, I mean, why is it just that one little place? Yeah. And I know it's the climate, and it's the perfect place for these Norfolk pines to grow. But like you said, Jim, it's close to New Zealand, it's close to Australia. You're surprised that you don't see it somewhere growing either in mm-hmm. Australia or New Zealand. Mm-hmm. It's just on that one island, and that is it in the whole world yeah. that's the only place they grow well just think when when climate adjusts or changes some things will germinate that's never been in our area before because it changed just enough to make the conditions right well, i thought know, that was pretty cool the ginkgo was early on was thought to have been extinct for several million years wow you know and then they found them growing in monasteries in in tibet uh, oh. that had been there for years um, so, you and know, here pretty are. much everything we have here in the U.S. are descendants of seed collected from those plants. Wow. Gosh, I love the way that works. Well, let's take a caller today. <laughs> let's go to Tony. Good morning, Tony. You're in the garden. Good morning. I'm... Oh, I... wait, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? I can oh, yeah. now, Tony. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, question about Malabar spinach. It's like a climbing... Mm-hmm. Uh, spinach, but it's it's not really spinach. Do y'all have any experience with that? Yeah, it grows quite well here. You know, give it a little ch- chain link fence or, or wire fence to grow up, and it'll cover it. Okay. What about, I mean, you can eat it too, right? Oh, gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Just like spinach. Really, that's my people. And it produces, just continually produces. Likes, you know, it will tolerate our hot weather, but it, it likes really to be in a little cooler environment than we have. So if you can protect it from the hottest afternoon stun, sun, still going to need eight hours or so of sunlight, uh, I think it'll do quite well for you. Okay. All right. I was just wondering. Thank All right. you. All right, mm-hmm. Tony. Thank you, buddy. Well, let's it, see. We better talk about that one more. Malabar, climbing, spinach. Climbing spinach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And would yeah. you plant that, Jim? I mean, is it kind of like you treat it like a cool weather plant, plant it in the fall and also plant it in the early spring? I, yeah, I usually plant it, would plant it in the spring and just let it take over a fence, you know, <clears> and then you can pick off of it. But it's, um, do you, you see any plants in the spring? You don't see the plants. I we don't. sell the seed. You do sell the seed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, so, never, yeah. I, I've never seen the Malabar. I shouldn't say never say mm-hmm. never, but I don't recall seeing Malabar spinach plants we just typically see yeah. the seed yeah. oh i think i have to do that that would be a great one to grow on my patio mm-hmm. because that way i could still have the vine thing going on and there's one place where the sun just you know kills you and so you put like a shade cloth or something there so this time i think i might try to grow that spinach so i'm getting an edible mm-hmm. as well but then, well, no, it doesn't get afternoon sun, and that might not give it enough hours. But you don't want to, it's like be, Jim said, you want to try to keep it out of the hottest part of the hottest afternoon, afternoon sun. sun. Yeah. yeah, if you can, you know, if it can get, yeah. 
it will grow in less than eight hours of sunlight. But it probably doesn't have but good it, flavor. It, well, it causes the the um, the inner nodes to be longer, so mm-hmm. you don't get as much leaves, and they yeah. tend to be smaller. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so it would be better to have more sunlight on it. But, I mean, if you can reach your, your roof, you, mm-hmm. you could do it just like a fishing line yeah. um, trellis, trellis and just let it climb yeah. up it, you know, and it so would block nice. your sun out. Right. See, are you... Um, I saw a picture of a place. It was a really long building, and they put probably it was not bird netting. It really wasn't fishing wire. I'm not sure what they used, but they had anchored it to the ground at an angle and then ran it all the way up to mm-hmm. the top of the, the roof and then grew vines on it. Yeah. So that was your quick fix to having shade because the trees were still small, all mm-hmm. new planted. And it was really pretty because you could actually walk under it also. Mm. But um, that's a, And you could use an annual vine because annual vines grow so fast. I mean, you could use the cardinal creeper. That's that cardinal vine, the which highest. Is, which is an bean. annual vine, and yeah. the highest and bean is an annual vine. The uh, black-eyed Susan vine, the yeah. Persia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nothing grows faster than it. And then the scarlet, <laughs> the scarlet runner bean, uh-huh. that's a fast-growing. So there's some really fast-growing annual vines that and you, you plant. And you start them from seed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. then sometimes you can get a, the small plants mm-hmm. in the spring, but typically you pl- you're starting those yeah. from seed, yeah. Okay, another break. And y'all give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. One more thing on the house plants. Oh, you know, there's another name for a snake plant I found out. The, some people call it the rent plant. The rent yeah, plant. You, that I've never heard of. Mother-in-law's tongue. Yeah, that yeah. one too. <laughs> the, they call it that because you water it every time you pay your rent. Once a month. Once a month, <laughs> which is very true. I think we go two months a the lot mother, of times. The mother-in-law's tongue, or what, Sansevieria. Sansevieria. <laughs> God, I can't say these. God dang it. Uh, let's go and back. And you to said the rent plant. Yeah, the rent plant. The, it's the snake plant, the mother-in-law's tongue, the rent plant. And I heard another name. I was like, really? All those names? But they are easy to grow. They are. But also, if you've got a north-facing window, here are some plants that really do well in the north-facing window. Um, the aglaonemia. Chinese evergreen. And it has lots of different colors and mm. foliages. Love that plant. Uh, prayer plant, actually. Maranta. And spath. Spilophilum. <laughs> Spilophilum. It's, it's no, not said like We're going to say spathophilia. <laughs> I'm like, Jim, really? Yeah, he's testing us. I'm believing you. Uh, aspidistra. Mm-hmm. Cast iron plant. See? What you got on that one? Because I used the name aspidistra. You did good. Dracaena. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, no, Dracaenas do. Okay, yeah. Yeah. On the north facing they one. Okay. Do. The bigger leaf ones, wider leaf ones like corn mm-hmm. plant, do better than like marginata. Yeah, yeah. the little thin ones. Yeah. And uh, the ZZ plant. Yeah. Uh, Zamia. Used to be a Sago. But yeah, yeah, they used to be in the Sago genus, but now it's a genus by itself. Yeah, the ZZ plant. I can't ever say the name. Cardboard palm is another name for it. Cardboard palm. I'm not seeing that. It's got a really thick. Really thick, thick, waxy, dark green yeah. leaf on it. And very, now there's some that are black. Very toxic to animals, though. Yeah. So you want to, if you have a cat or a dog that likes to eat things, mm-hmm. you don't want one of those. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Anthony. Good morning, Anthony. Thanks for the call. How can we help you? Uh, hi. I just have, have a question about uh, how to keep ants out of a raised bed. I've had a, a real problem with that. 
and so I'd move the bed and I'd fill the bottom of it with pine needles mm-hmm. uh, before putting any topsoil on. And I'm wondering, will that help to keep ants out or does that make no difference? Now, in these raised beds, Anthony, are you growing uh, ornamentals or are you growing vegetables? Ve- uh, vegetables. Yeah. Uh, putting the pine needles down is surely not a bad idea, but it's not going to keep the ants out of there, potentially. Yeah, they're not doing any damage other than maybe tunneling. You know, they're feeding primarily on fungus that's growing on decomposing organic matter in your bed. Um, and Or they're, they're also, sometimes if you've got aphids, or uh, they'll, they'll actually harvest the honeydew from those and guard them and protect them. But uh, but the product but Anthony the products that I like really like for ants uh, there's 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 a product that you can buy either in a concentrate that you mix and pour or there's a product the same product that you can buy in a granulated version uh, it's a product called bifenfrin uh, and it is a deadly to ants but very 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 safe to use it's kind of in that it's in that permethrin family but like I said this one's called bifenfrin. Uh, you can get the granules and sprinkle that in there, uh, you know, next spring. Or you can get the liquid and just make a drench if you don't want those ants in there. But like Jim was saying, unless they're fire ants, which I know you don't want in there, if they're regular yeah. ants, I mean, they're not really hurting anything. But I'm like you. I don't think I want them in there. They're more of a nuisance than anything. Uh, I would either just sprinkle the granulated bifenfrin granules in that bed, those beds, or just get the liquid, dilute it, and pour it in there. But you'll get rid of those ants, I promise you. Uh, I've tried the diatomaceous earth. Mm-hmm. That, that did not seem to help at all. Only only uh, lasts for we, about a day. Yeah, get get that yeah. get that bifenfrin, Anthony, and it's a very it's a very safe product to use. Uh, like I said, it's in that permethrin family, and all those classes kind of took the places of your malathons and diazonons. They're very broad spectrum. They're very safe to use. Uh, but this one in particular is really good against ants. Well, they've not been feeding on my vegetables, but they have been feeding on me when I go out there. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, buddy. Yeah, you don't want that. So I'd, I'd probably get the granules just because I think they're going to last a lot longer for you than just drenching the beds uh, you know, with the bifenthrin. I'd get the granules. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for the Anthony. call. You know, there's y'all just showed me a picture earlier, mm. which I never, never would have thought that a squirrel could gnaw a tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, Lord. And then we've also got the deer rub problem with trees, too, where the deers are rubbing up on the trees and, and um, messing up the tender bark on, like, Japanese maples oh, or things like that. especially those rural areas. I mean, deer or they're a big time problem. They're everywhere. They're eating eating your plants up, and then you're saying now they got mm-hmm. the bugs out there rubbing their antlers, yeah. and tearing up your or you know scratching your their backs, labels. you know. But the squirrels, I, I think I'd rather have ten deer than one squirrel because I've seen squirrels go out there invade on these Japanese maples and just strip the bark uh, off of these limbs. I mean, it's it's crazy. But why are they just uh, are they <clears throat> laughing as they pull the bark got, off our tree? I think that well, that they look in the door and laugh at yeah. you, but they also I think they're using a lot of that for bedding. Yeah, and they, mm-hmm. I mean, they, it, it's, the Precision. geometry of nature is just fa- fascinating to mm-hmm. me, you know, in mm-hmm. flowers, so forth, but they'll cut perfect patterns. Precision. Yes. Yeah, squares. I mean, it's just, you wouldn't, you think that little 
tree rat would just go in there and just gnaw until it got full and go away. But they cut perfect squares. They Maybe do. they built the pyramids they, they then. They leave enough bark in there so that the plant can t- still move food upwards and downwards. Yeah. So it's really quite amazing. Well, and, but we have seen where they do girdle the whole thing and then it mm-hmm. kills them. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't know why it is, especially, and I'm sure they do it to all trees, but I've really noticed it on Japanese maples. That's where we hear the most complaints. Well, the squirrels go in there and they're just stripping these limbs mm-hmm. uh, of that bark. And I don't know, you know, maybe when it's really hot, they're looking for moisture, which yeah, a lot of times they do. That. But if they're doing it this time of year, they're probably using it more for bedding. Maybe there's not enough in our yards around for them to choose from, so they choose our maples. No, ma'am, there's plenty. And think about when you're growing your beautiful prized tomatoes. There's enough food yeah. out there for a squirrel, I they promise you. They those tomatoes. Sure they do. Animals there's a, are There's smart. enough acorns in my front yard to support, you know, the, a, a small herd. Yeah. Of, yeah, so, yeah, you know, no, we shouldn't feel sorry for the squirrels is my point. <laughs> That's so difficult. But the, the gnawing on the tree, it wasn't like one little mark. It was a, how big was that spot? Like six inches by six inches? Oh, yeah, inches? but I, I have seen them. And the, <clears throat> the one that I've seen that was worse was a Burford holly, where hmm. they had gone, that squirrel had gone in, and from about a f- <clears throat> two feet off the ground, had gone up eight feet or so on a trunk that was six or eight inches around. Huh. Um, and it would, they just perfectly cut yeah. that one side the back side was clear but just on one side about a six inch strip cut little tiny squares all the way up just like they were perfect and it was kind of like we were talking about the yellow-bellied sapsucker they do the same kind of thing except they're like drill holes yeah flickers yeah. will do that you know so that's Wow. It is pretty amazing, honestly, if you if you think about it. I know it. I'm just sitting here in awe thinking about how perfect they can make all that. They don't have a ruler or anything. And well, they make I mean, nature isn't amazing. <laughs> As time progresses and all these cameras and and the um microscopes and all of that that we can see such more detail and we can catch animals doing things that we never seen because of course we're asleep or you just don't catch them because the cameras are out and how about did i see on tv where the bear was attacking one of the deer in the christmas display (laughs) he was giving it a good time all right we'll be right back after these messages The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We're in our third hour, and we enjoy every hour with y'all. Glad you can be with us. And uh, that is Veda over there with Palladio's Gardens, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And to my left, we've got Mr. Jim. With the Mid-South Garden Facebook, Facebook page, page, USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. eight. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. I mean, when I do get on Facebook, uh, when I do, mm-hmm. uh, my phone automatically comes up to that. And it's just, I'll kind of scroll through there once or twice a week. I wish I had more time to do it. And it's, it's just great. The people are posting pictures and asking about the pictures. Mm-hmm. They're posting questions. And it's really neat to go in there and see the answers and then... Uh, you know, and some are right and some are wrong, but at the very bottom down there, 
uh, you're going to get the right answer. Yeah, like I like where Cornelius uh, plant or posted a picture of the cordylines, mm-hmm. yeah. and bloom. they're getting ready to bloom. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. y'all! That's amazing indoors mm-hmm. and all. So that's beautiful. Cornelius used to make all that jewelry out of the the stones and sell them at. Um, all of the festivals and things that we had, and then her mm. husband had all those those cool rocks. What do you call them? The amen, um, ammonite mm-hmm. and fossils. Yep. Yeah, fossils. Thank you. And then some of them that. Why am I losing the words? Like that crystals. Yes, you break them open. Oh yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, I'm going to uh, last night I asked Carol if it'd be all right if I joined that group, and I'm gonna. They meet the like, second Friday of every month. Uh, and uh, I'm going to go to their meeting this coming Friday. There you go. Yeah. Small that, world, man. The Ammonite group. Well, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. They they do fossil searches, rock Ooh, things, and, and that's what I've always wanted to go. Nonconna Creek is one of the best places to find fossils around here. Huh. But I've always been leery of going by myself. You know, since yeah. I because if you know if I screw up one of my many fake parts in me you know <laughs> hips, knees, things like that you know i need help getting out yeah. so i'll be there with a group of people that can you know huh i might have to join just to go on the trip that's that's what i want is just yeah. to do some fossil hunting and and that sort of thing i've got a cool fossil i found at work on a rock but it's just there i don't know what it is or what to do with it but admire it every day yeah well, uh, Veda, and I know you were going to bring this up, but one of the things that people are thinking about this time of year are just wonderful gifts for the gardener. Man, oh boy, I have a list. I've got a list, too, so <laughs> let's start with your list. And I'll see. I'm, I'm sure some of the stuff you have, I have. I went to some other stuff that was, people really normally don't think of, but you know what? So you've got a gardener, and they're just an avid gardener, have lots of stuff. Yeah, one thing that would really be good is some of those peony rings, mm-hmm. you know, the stakes that um, the support, the supports, and all of that. They they can hold up so many types of plants, mm-hmm. and that's something great for a gardener to have just stored and ready for when the season comes. And so that's a nice gardener gift. And then there's all these wonderful. We have like the wrought iron. Um, hangers that you can hang plants mm-hmm. from inside, outside. Mm-hmm. And those are good gardeners' gifts. Some of the little things that just help a person enjoy their garden, but it doesn't have to be <laughs> like awesomely beautiful yeah. looking or anything. But the peony cages and the wrought iron. Um, the things hooks, that people that's actually some. going to use. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I've got a list, but I want to know some of yours. Or what were you going to say, Jim? I was going to go ahead. Huh? Oh, I was going to say, you know, if you don't know what they want, a gift certificate is okay. Well, a gift certificate is my first one, one, Jim. (laughs) We had there was a customer that shopped with us a lot in every spring out at uh, Dan West Highway sixty four, and her kids would come in and buy her a thousand dollar gift certificate. Has to be Miss Edna Hoffman, and and so (laughs) she could come in all through the summer, you know, and and buy stuff, and and she used it up every year. I saw her just the other. Day, she yeah. pulled out that gift certificate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so gift certificates are always great. You can never go wrong uh, because then people can get what they want. But I put down bulbs and bulb auger. You know, the bulb auger mm-hmm. is like the big yeah. drill bit that you put on your drill, especially if you have a lot of bulbs that you're going to plant. Instead of digging each individual hole with a trowel or a bulb planter, you just get this big old bulb auger, stick it on your drill, and zip, zip, zip. Mm-hmm. You've got 100 holes out there, you know, made in no time. 100, 100 holes? Or 200, or 100, 300, or 1,000. And, and remember, it works best in prepared soil. Softer no, soil. I'm saying not 100, <laughs> but 100. Yeah, you know. 
So, uh, so the gift certificates, uh, bulbs themselves, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. paper whites, amaryllis, uh, other narcissus, uh, tulips, daffodils, but bulbs. Oh, seeds then, seed packets. Of course, seeds, I mean, yeah. now we can anything can be a gift. Well, yeah, but you I'm know? thinking of as me as a gardener, what something deeper well, into I got, gardening. And yeah. I got like four more. Of course, any hand tool, and and mm-hmm. the, one of the hand tools that we sell a lot of. For particulars for garden gifts are the Felco pruners. And the reason I'm saying that is the Felcos are the Swiss-made uh, pruners that are, they are more expensive than just a typical handheld pruner. Mm-hmm. But they are lightweight. They're tough as everything. They have sharp blades. You can replace the blades when they get dull. All you can parts, replace the springs. The springs right. everything. And it, so it's really one of the best pair of pruners that you can buy mm-hmm. when it comes to hand pruners. And then another one that a lot of times your neighbors will just hate you for the big old wind chimes. Yeah, I didn't think You know, those, but they yeah. make great gifts for the gardener, especially if you get, I'm not talking about the clanky ones that sound like a bunch of bottles yeah. banging together. Right. I mean, right. these things are have wonderful, almost tuned. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you know, tuned. Yeah, they are yeah. tuned uh, wind chimes, so keep that in mind. And then uh, two more, the kneeling pads. A lot of times we mm-hmm. forget about our old knees. Yeah. You know, whether, and these are pads that you just throw on the ground, put, throw your knees on there, and you can do some gardening, hopefully pain-free. Throw your knees on there. Yeah, just or, or kneel down. She's <laughs> on me today, Jim. And then, of course, gloves. Everybody's got to have mm-hmm. gloves. And then the last one is the, the calendar. You know, you got to have oh, the yeah. Memphis Area yeah. Gardener uh, calendar that we're talking about. I mean, it will fit in any stocking, like I said, two or three weeks yeah. ago. So those are some wonderful ideas, guys, for gifts for the mm-hmm. gardener, and they're and I great. have and to s- people use them. For me, the Felco pruners aren't my f- favorites. Mine are now I can't remember who makes them. Ironworks, I think they're the ratchet pruners, mm-hmm. and I'm able to just prune anything with the ratchet pruners. Uh, they make it so much easier in the strength wise. Well, if you have weak hands and weak, well, wrist. I don't have weak hands. <laughs> Thanks, Kenneth. <laughs> well, Felco, Felco makes some ratchet pruners also. So I, have I, have a, I have a Model 41, which is yeah. very, It's it, you can almost use it as a, um, mm-hmm. a lopper. Yeah. Because you can grab the handle with both hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it works great. Ooh, yeah. I want to try that out. But I love these. They're very durable as well. And same company now makes some suture pruners. <laughs> I had Lord. to really try. They were so sharp. and But they're just... They're durable enough that you can get in and do more um, detailed pruning on it. Fire pits and chimneas. Oh, sure. That's a great, great Christmas gift. Um, Statuary, like cute little bunnies and frogs and puppy dogs and all that. Great Christmas gifts, too. And um, chimneas, fire pits, pruners. Oh, the expandable leaf rake. I love that. And, of course, the hoi hoi knife. Yeah. yeah, and when I when I said hand tools, Veda, it made me think of you and the Hoya Hoya knife. I, I mean, I promise you, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking of. There's also one called the little soil scoop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a handle and it's got, got a got that one too. Yeah, yeah. And, it's got, and it's got a curved blade. It's almost like a a cupped trowel, yeah. if you will, with serrated uh, sides. And it's whether you're trenching, whether mm-hmm. you're digging, whether you're. I mean, it's just an all-purpose. Yeah. Uh, hand tool, but it made me think of the uh-huh. the knife that you were talking about a couple of weeks ago, the garden knife. Oh wait, so, and then there's the trake, yeah. the trowel, and the rake <laughs> all together. It's really pretty. Looking, you still I sell think. a Korean hand hoe, Jim? We sell those in the spring, oh, uh, okay. and and the and the soil scoop kind of kind of reminds me of that. But mm-hmm. there's so many great little tools out there, guys, uh, and not only tools, but Cape you know, Cod weed hook. 
remember that thing? No, Jim. It, no, we we had them years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, now we carry the weeder, but it's like the little snake tongue, the little fort mm-hmm. yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some there's some great little gifts for the gardener out there. There's really so are. many tools, and literally, if you can start collecting some really good tools, gardening is easier. Like oh. I was saying with the hori hori knife, there's a garden knife and there's a hori hori knife. You can do the same thing with both, but the hori hori knife is so much easier. I get so much more productivity out of it, and I look good when I'm doing oh, it. Oh, Lord, and that means <laughs> a whole it's lot. it's pretty. <laughs> okay, break. We'll be right back. 260-5926. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Doesn't that remind you of going to a football game at the beginning? Like in high school? I guess it's kind of like a marching band yeah. theme Or maybe there. that's a Christmas parade band sound. Yeah. Christmas parade! All right, so we got gifts for the gardener nailed down pretty good, I think, mm-hmm. Theta. Nailed down? Yeah, you know? Um, I had some shrubs that look really pretty together, and... I was just doing a design for this. This was a fence design, but not to hide a fence. It was just against a fence. So hold on. When you say a fence design, somebody's got a wooden fence fence in their yard, and and they want to soften that look. Right. We're just going to build a bed in front of it. And so really, it's just a big space. It's in the yard. But I I mixed together... First, the the focal point was going to be, is going to be the um, orange maple, which I was asking. Who is it? The October Glory? Is it the Coral Bark? Which one do I want to go with? It really gives you the orange. So that's going to be in there. But the St. John's Wort, like the the blue velvet, there's one called blue velvet. The foliage turns a little bit blue right now. It's got some good fall color. Most years it's not going to have fall color, but it's a little different now. So I have the St. John's Wort kind of as a backdrop and then some um, distillium, the swing low distillium. And... (laughs) That one is green and beautiful and a it good is. contrast with the St. John's wort. And then the, it's called a tiny yellow barberry, but the fall color is red and beautiful. And then throw some ornamental grasses in there. Oh, wow. Got, there's put, a whole landscape yeah, right there. And then I put the uh, blue rug, not the blue rug. My favorite is the blue Pacific mm. juniper, low ground cover. So that's in in front of it but it's not it doesn't i don't have it in rows like the back row st john's and then we step down and then we step down they're like in swaths and maybe the st john's warts in the background and then so so say you've got five planted in kind of like a triangle effect Mm. and then it's not just a straight line right drop down with the distillium and then um let's see did i add anything else but see that gives you a good combination you're getting all kinds of seasons worth of plants. You've got a, a beauty all the time. You know, I always forget about the St. John's wort. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they usually have like a yellow bloom, don't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but easy to grow. Yeah. Uh, different yeah. varieties out there. Is there any drawback that we know of, Jim? On a- well, a lot of times they'll get winter killed the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. so some winters they're not as, uh, don't do quite as well. They're but, not flush, evergreen right. looking, yeah. But, well, like on your site, on the uh, Facebook web site, someone had uh, posted, what is this? Yeah. And yeah. there is a St. John's Wort ground cover. Mm-hmm. But how well, I love it. But I, does it ever get really full, have you noticed, and just say one solid 
as a ground cover you mean again it, it's one of those that can get zapped for fairly easy and usually yeah when it flushes back out it's real pretty in the spring yeah and lasts through the until winter um but it, it i think there are better ground covers yeah, than, yeah. So, than that yeah. so i mean so if you've got this this fence that veda was talking about and you want to plant in front of it to soften it up or whether you're creating Oh, a- the other thing I added was the cryptomeria, yeah, okay. the tall one, all the right. black dragon. Yeah. Yeah, I think Yoshino, so. Yoshino, all of those are yeah. get pretty big. Yeah, it's in there too. Of course, now I planted it with making, I designed it with making sure I'm putting like four, five, and six feet between some of the plants. Oh, I'm yeah. not planting them three feet apart because I want to see each inv- individual plant, yeah. and I want them to have less maintenance. Well, yeah. and the point I was going to make is I kind of like what you were talking about doing other than just getting one plant, whether it's a arbovita, a juniper, cryptomeria, Leland cypress, whatever it is, and having just that one plant you know, planted 30 times down the side of that wall. Uh, and we see that a lot. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad look. Sometimes it can be actually a yeah, pretty decent right. look. But I still like to have just little groupings of different plants gathered together. I think it's a much more natural look right. than just having one plant. Some things, you know, if, if anybody that's going to address a fence like that, it's very important that when you go to your nursery, you know which way that fence runs and mm-hmm. which side of that fence you're on. Because, you know, the things that... <laughs> Which Veda, side of the fence are you on? Yeah. The Veda, things that Veda talked about are primarily sun lovers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on a, on a fence that's running east-west, if you're on the south side, they're great choices. You're on the north side, they're not going to perform right. well. That's a good point, yeah. The other thing to remember is, you know, like you were deciding which tree to put in. Mm-hmm. Um if you put in a uh, Sangukaku maple, the, the uh, snakeskin, it's going to get 15 feet tall, but it's not a lot of blocking the sun. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you put an October Glory maple in there, yeah. it's going to get 20 feet wide. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to be thick enough to block the sun. It's going to shade everything. Yeah. So over the course of 7 to 10 years, a lot of the plants that you have in there may need to mm-hmm. be changed because right. you you're creating more shade. shade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of little details, you know, when you're going to think about doing this type of thing that you want to be aware of and be able to share with your designer when you get ready to do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true with the fence thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the big trees too. And that's one of the hard things about designing and you should explain as well as is the fact that Right now, we're in a lot of sun, so we're going to have to go with these. And there are shrubs that look good, full sun, part shade, or or whatever. But as the tree gets bigger, a lot of times you do have to just switch out the landscape or just know that some of the shrubs may start declining and looking different. Say, for instance, in this landscape area, it is where uh, a uh, white oak had been taken down. Mm -hmm. And there was azaleas. Uh, planted and all that stuff under it so all that was removed but there's three azaleas that were still left and she's like well you can leave those they'll be okay but they're out in full full sun and regular azaleas and you can see these are more yellow and these are green but she's like these are living I'm like well they're not going to continue to live great so I'm transplanting those three over to the other side oh the glam beauty berry too Mm -hmm. I'm putting that in there and that's a it's a big huge space like a 66 foot bed by 16 feet or something like that and a lot of times when people want to get ideas that you can do one or two things. I mean, you can drive through.
through neighborhoods and look at people's landscapes mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and get ideas. But also, and it makes you think, and, and a lot of people think the same way or not the same way. And what I mean by that is, let's say commercial landscaping. Uh, and you've got a, a long brick wall, okay? Yeah. A lot of times you'll see crepe myrtles spaced out along that long brick wall. And then you'll see a hedge in between the crepe myrtles, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad look. But to me, that is a commercial look. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would take that commercial look and try to do it in their landscape at home. And it's, you know, there is a difference, I think, between landscaping at home and commercial landscaping. Now, I'm not saying that both of them or either one of them are bad. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying they're different. That's all. You know, I've had a lot of people ask me what I thought about red mulch, you know, and I'm like, well, if you don't mind looking like a McDonald's, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I have to agree, Jim. <laughs> yeah. And that reminds me of commercial landscaping. Right. You know, so, you know, does it, I mean, it's, and that's what throws people is there's so many different ways to landscape a particular wall or a particular spot or a particular bed. There's a million different ways mm-hmm. to do it. And it yes, it does come come down just to a matter of preference. And a lot of people will get seek out help and they'll get some advice. And but the bottom line is the homeowner is the one that has to like it. Yeah. I don't care if the the guy that drew it up likes it or not. And one of the issues too, you know, and, and we touched on this before, a good designer is going to take into consideration what the tree is going to look like 10, 12 years from now and give it space to do that. People who do landscaping quite often want to walk away from it looking perfect. That's true. All right. And, And you're going to be real happy with it for three to five years and then you're going to have something die and you think well i'll just remove that one shrub but that one shrub has shaded the sides of two other shrubs or three other because they were planted so thick to start with and they're probably not going to fill out so now you got a plant looks half dead okay so really plant it right it's going to look under planted when you when they leave okay Mm -hmm. if it doesn't you're in for issues isn't that amazing so true right because I could sell three times the amount of plants when, and fill that spot, but it's not right. Yeah, you want to you, know. you pay attention to the spacing on these yeah, plants. Yeah, you could make a uh, 15, is there any $1,500 landscape job? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> so you could make a $3,000 landscape, like 12000 just by overplanting. And, of course, the labor is going to go up, too, but... You know, check it out. It's okay to have a thinner landscape and, and room for them to grow. You're going to enjoy it over long term. Yeah, the only thing I don't mind over planting or sometimes a lot of ground covers, you know, you, we put them in there Gosh, too thick. But, but that's absolutely yeah. fine. Yeah. Even when it comes to annual color, you know, we mm-hmm. put it in there too thick yeah, to me. Yeah, that's just still, a year, you know. But when it comes to your trees and shrubs, then you really do want to pay attention to the mm-hmm. spacing of those things. And like Jim said, Think of three or five years down the road, because all this stuff, you hope and pray that it's going to grow, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, unless you're trying to create a barrier, and you're using privet, which you can't even buy in Tennessee anymore, Eliagnus, Hollies, whatever, yeah, you can crunch those things in there pretty thick and let them just grow together, because that's the look you're looking Mm -hmm. for, okay? But But for the most part... You want to pay attention to the spacing. Well, like I was showing you on the picture of that holly that I wanted to know what it was, because rarely do you see hollies with enough space to grow yeah. and see how beautiful the holly is without being sheared and pruned and sheared and pruned. Now, granted, it does look good 
I mean, they do look fine, pruned and, and sheared and all that and landscapes that are manicured. That's fine. Yeah. It's got a whole different look and all. But when you actually get to see the plant as it should be, it's it's fantastic looking. <laughs> but you, we don't have an Well, like I think it's because we want more plants. Yeah. You know, so we just keep keeping them pruned small so we can get more plants. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, even a Japanese maple, for example, mm-hmm. depending on the variety that you get, there's some that only get 8 to 10 foot tall. There's some that get 30 foot tall. So you, you need to know, of course, what they're putting in there. But they're always going to look their best when they can reach their potential. If they're crowded in there you know, really crowded in with other things, they're not going to do that. But if you don't know what best looks like, then you're all good. I guess so. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Kenneth, get us trending. Yeah, 2023 garden trends. And when I was reading these, making notes the other night, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, why are we calling... Well, first of all, what's the definition of a trend? Mm -hmm. And to me, these are not trends. These are things that we've always done. We're just uh, doing them again. So, but but these are going to be, they're saying, you know, these Mm -hmm. experts, that these are going to be the trends for 2023. One is growing your own bouquets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Or maybe we're doing more of it. Maybe, but they mentioned roses, hydrangeas, and then cosmos, zinnias, and sunflowers, okay? Well, yes, we all know if you grow those that you can harvest the the flowers and have great bouquets. But to me, I'm like, okay, well, we've always done that, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But that's going to be a big trend for 2023 is growing things that you can actually cut and and put in a bouquet, okay? And those were some examples. Um, Creating a cottage garden. Now, the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jim. To me, and it said adding a bit of whimsy, like using, uh, uh, you know, wheelbarrows and bikes and other objects that gardeners cleverly use uh, as uh, containers for plants. I wouldn't consider a cottage garden with using all the whimsical stuff. Well, but they're talking about like having a bicycle in there with a mm-hmm. basket on the front and putting stuff yeah. in there or a wheelbarrow I that's turned. putting rusted tools and uh, stuff listen, in my I'm garden. Not either. I'm just telling you, <laughs> these are some of the trends that people are using and using some of the unique, different containers that you can put stuff in. Yeah, okay? right. But then again, what really constitutes a cottage garden? I mean, a cottage garden is almost, to me, a house with no yard. It's got mm-hmm. annuals, perennials, yeah. vines, and stuff growing uh-huh. everywhere. Herbs, you know, in yeah. all different spots. And, and, yeah. and then with a few of these uh, bicycles mm. and wheelbarrows and, and those kind of, of things. In a cottage now, garden. maybe in a little town in England. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. Oh, well, okay. I can visualize that. Okay. You know, but I think around here. But then ask me what I have in my wheelbarrow in my yard. So You don't have a yard. I have some property. I just don't live on it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Another trend is going to be using fragrant herbs uh, in the landscape. And I'm thinking, well, okay, we always do that. And they really mention lavender. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many lavenders on the market now. And some of them actually do pretty well darn well here this far south in the darn heat. well so they can get overwhelming yeah but i mean and i really? love lavender mm-hmm. good drainage we all know that but uh 
you know, incorporating more scented herbs in the garden, okay? Okay. So keep a focus on that. Uh, And, of course, expanding the houseplant collections with rare and unusual varieties. (sighs) Well, put a rubber stamp on that one because that is definitely what's going on. There are people are so into houseplants that they've gone through all the common houseplants. I know, plants. yes. And now these ones, the people, these people, wonderful people that are collecting <laughs> houseplants, they're into these rare and unusual varieties that are hard to get. Right. You know, so, so it's, it's uh-huh. like any other collector. Because, see, now I'm calling like uh, uh, Crotons and Spaths and all those, I call them grocery store plants. Yeah. Nobody well, exactly. wants to buy the grocery store plant at the garden center. No, they want these things that are hard to come by, sometimes fairly expensive. Mm-hmm. But they like, uh, you know, they like the idea of having some things that other people just don't have. Um, so I think that's pretty neat. But, I yeah. mean, that is so true, mm-hmm. these more rare and unusual houseplants, because everybody's into houseplants these days. Guys, trellis planting, uh, mounted containers or walls for training plants, uh, living walls, for okay. example. Yeah. And the same thing, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, we by default, sometimes we have to do that because we're boxed in mm-hmm. and we can't grow out, so we grow up. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's still not something that's brand new, but maybe it's going to be a trend. See, I went the other way. I grew up and then I grew out. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, guys, is uh, using a lot of uh, natural products. And one of the things that they really were talking about was using just natural stone, especially when it came to pathways and walkways. Even some porch or patio areas, they were putting these flat stone in there. A lot of this was gray and blue-gray stone. They had grass growing in between it. So it was just a really pretty natural look. And it wasn't just the the stone that they were using for walkways, but it was just going back old-fashioned and using a lot of natural products in our landscape. And I was thinking, there again, okay, we still do a lot of that every year. Mm Mm-hmm. But those were a lot of the 2023 gardening trends that we might see a lot of this year. Yeah. All right. We're ready. And then you were, it's like, so the colorful pots are kind of going away. Well, and the we're 2023 going into... color of the year, yeah. Beta, it was terracotta. Okay. And we all know that's kind of a soft, muted, earth tone orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to see, you know, instead of these, a lot of these bright, loud colors that Jim has in his yard, we're going to see, <laughs> I'm sorry, that one, Jim, we're going to see a lot of the terracotta colors, it seems like, this year. And, you know, and I don't know who makes all these rules, but whether it's we... It's all marketing. Plan. Right. Whether mm-hmm. we abide by them or not, that's strictly up to you, but... I guess that, we could call them now influencers. Hey, thank you, Beta. <laughs> but that's going to be more or less the color of the year is going to be like a terracotta color, which I don't mind that because I don't mind the color of terracotta. Yeah, right. it, we call it Tennessee mud. <laughs> thank you. See, you I'd much rather say <laughs> and that. And it's kind of like there's different tones of terracotta. Exactly. And, you know, and so don't think just immediately of your old clay uh, pot. It's yeah, not going to be just that right. color. Farmer's right. pots is what they're called. Now you can kind of get them in some gray and some brown and some aged looking and all. I think it's going more toward the natural. So yeah. whether you know we see a lot of that going on or whether it's uh, like people are trying to influence us to do that, hey, it's it's just what I read and made notes on the other night. Like and none it. of that stuff is bad. And none, and all of that stuff is things that we've, there again, that we've always done. So yeah. Well, like I was telling you on the break, I do have to say that I've noticed a kind of a switch in, in people are uh, for indoors. 
moving away with some of the glossy ceramic-y pots mm. and moving into a little more uh, muted. modern, muted, mm. matte color <laughs> i found out i saw this girl's fingernails like oh so pretty they, they look like that looks like a primer or a dull but it's so pretty she goes it's matte oh, wow. like oh i like your matte fingernails so it's all in the name but i thought that was pretty <laughs> cool some of the things that people are thinking about and some of the trends that we potentially will see and y'all we, we all remember remember when outdoor kitchens remember that was a mm-hmm. big thing that was a trend uh koi ponds Remember that, Jim? You know, Mm -hmm. that was a... And and they were all great, and people are still doing it. But there again, I guess it's just more focus on what I just mentioned Mm -hmm. this coming year than it has been in past years. They get they probably get their trends by looking at statistics from garden centers on Mm -hmm. what they sold more of this year, and they're like, oh, it's a trend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, here's something in in landscaping I thought of. The thing is, though, when you're looking at statistics, I'm sorry, looking at statistics like that, you know, and you look at... uh, Hey, my uh, my sales in fire pits fire pits went up fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was cold two right. instead of one. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, so true. So don't stock up yeah. on them. You know? Yeah, that's like when I started this place, and and one of the girls go, "Oh, we sell. I sold so many Japanese maples." Uh, so you need to definitely get Japanese maples. And then some. one of the other girls said, I saw lots of hydrangeas. And so I look at the inventory, the sales from the past, and like she said, she sold lots of Japanese maples. I mean, I'm like, I got to get 20, 30. She sold three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I looked. Otherwise, I would have been going, oh, I need lots of Japanese maples. So, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah it went up 50%, but yeah. I sold two. Yeah, yeah. two. <laughs> well, that would actually be 100% too, so. My oh, math is a little off this morning. Well, you know, I didn't catch it, so math's always <laughs> off for me. <laughs> but, but it's kind of like, you know, like fashion or anything else. It seems like uh, everything makes a big circle. Uh, yeah. I mean, for example, I mean, think about roses, for example. You know, <laughs> back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, it seems like everybody had a huge rose bed. Okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, it, you know, of course, with all the maintenance involved, a lot of people got away from it. Well, now it seems like rose beds are coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, we learned a new way to put them in, to landscape them, to incorporate them. (laughs) Maybe. And I need to correct something. I told you uh, three or four weeks ago that um, uh, daylight savings time was going to end in the spring. The Senate has passed it. The House of Representatives is sitting on it. Well, darn because I see I've already passed the rumor around, Jim. I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) They have until the end of the year to pass it. I think they will. If they don't. Then they have to bring it up again in January and start over again. Yeah. Oh, so, um, yeah, it, we're still waiting on the House of Representatives, uh, which. Um, so all that means yeah, is potentially next not. year when they when we have the time change, that mm. will be the last time change we right. have. Right. Will that be true? Fingers crossed. You know, talking in landscaping, you know, one thing is we always want to landscape around utility boxes and stuff like that. But in a way, why highlight them? We'll We'll be right back. I'm not, no. You can call it highlight. I'm calling it hide them. We'll be right back. (laughs) Morning. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Highlight your uh, electric box or your cable box or whatever. Like for me, I think, well, for Jim too and Kenneth too, I like the ornamental grasses around the electrical boxes, mm-hmm. the irrigation boxes, whatever they are. But when they were talking about highlighting your box, sometimes <laughs> you hmm. just do this landscape around it and it's obvious there's a box there. 
So ornamental grasses seem to be softer, and they seem to hide it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the last thing I want in my landscape, I think, is a big green box, okay? Mm-hmm. Whether it's on the side yard or the front yard, and you see them everywhere. And I'm like you, Veda. I want to put something around them, which typically people do to hide the box. I don't want to put something so unique mm-hmm. that it's going to draw attention to the box. Right, because they know? say, well, if they look at that, they won't see the box. I'm going to see the box. And, and I was just telling y'all, I've seen people where, and right down the street from me, there's a green box in somebody's front yard, and he's got ornamental grasses out of all things, which you mentioned, which I love, just on the front of the box. And it's just for people driving down the street, walking down the sidewalk. They're not seeing this big box. So he's doing a favor for us, right? Yeah. yeah and that, to me, that's not the right way to plant it. No. Plant it on the backside. <laughs> Thank you, You know, Jeff. so you're not seeing the box. <laughs> is, the guy driving down the street ain't looking at that box. That is my We're point. Caring, yeah. <laughs> and there's another one, uh, the gentleman that lives behind me, and he, it, the shrubs are encircling the mm-hmm. box. You don't see the box whatsoever. And but to you me, see this circle. Well, you do, but to me, I'd rather do that mm-hmm. than just, just plant on the front side of the box where every time I walk out my front door, I'm still looking at this box. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, if you're trying yeah. to get the most beautiful yard on the street, you would feel like you would need to hide the box. Yeah. <laughs> the box. Yeah. The box. So, yeah. I mean, That was always one of my heartaches in landscaping. Can you hide my box? <laughs> can, can we just leave it yeah. and not even... And, and, and I don't think, it. you know, I don't know if you can legally paint these things a different color, a very, you know, yeah. muted color. I wonder if you could. I don't know if you paint, can. Paint flowers on them? No, you, well, know. you definitely don't want to do that, no. <laughs> With MLGNW boxes, I don't think it'd be an issue painting that big green box. You don't think so? Okay. No, because you, you can't do uh, fire hydrants and stuff like that. Yeah, but no. I've never seen a big electrical box painted before. Well, now. It's always been that. And then, you know, the older it gets, the more muted the green gets. So that's not so bad, <laughs> but... You get a brand new green shiny box out there in your front yard, y'all. It's yeah. horrible. And now they're that big. We, now that we talk so much about the box, everybody's going to be looking out their yard all week, going, "I see the box." Yeah, my I didn't got see one, it till they I said something about it. So, all right, another <laughs> thing, real quick, and I know we got to leave here in just a minute. Um, other than um, the other things we talked about this morning, one is it's always pretty important to think about is the pH of your soil. And whether that's in your lawn, your beds, or your your garden, okay? And the reason I'm bringing this up now is you can put lime down any day of the year, okay? A good time to put lime down is this time of year if you need to, because most of your just old-fashioned pelletized limes are going to take two or three months to really break down and alter your pH. So if you need to change your pH, go ahead and get the lime down now, where it can have time to break down, Jim, and benefit you next year during the growing season. Now, the another beauty of lime is, like everything else, there's now there is a fast lime. Mm-hmm. So instead of taking months to break down and alter your pH, it only takes weeks to break down and alter your pH. So if you want to wait until spring and you really want to change that pH faster than not, there is a product out there called fast lime. So keep hey. that in mind because pH is important. It looks like the temperature's dropping some already. Mm-hmm. That's good, like because I'm really hot right now. <laughs> well, I'm always hot. But. <laughs> 
Here she goes, you hog. So is it supposed to get cooler as the day goes? Yeah, yeah, as the day goes. Because I think it was 60 this morning. Yeah, it was 60, 64, 65 yeah. at midnight. So that's the high of the day, yeah. you think, then? So we're 54 mm-hmm. now, so it says 51. We'll be at like 50, 48. But I think the sun's going to be out some, and that helps. Oh, I was going to ask this, though. Okay, so we were talking about putting um, planter boxes on concrete. Can anything leach from the concrete into the, or is Not it even upwards matter? into the pot, no. Mm-mm. And then if we do like a, a bed, a raised bed on the concrete, no. yeah, it just doesn't leach up. No, I mean, the roots would eventually get down there, but mm-hmm. if the concrete's old, it's really not going to have much, mm-hmm. not going to leach much calcium into the soil. How about if you have a azalea that likes acidic soil and you put plant it up against a house? <laughs> Depends on again the age of the house. It, mm-hmm. it can change yeah. the pH, and one of the things that we see a lot is um, construction debris, particularly gypsum, like you were talking about, <coughs> which can acidify the soil. When you're talking about a chunk of it sitting right up underneath, in the, the form plant. of sheetrock, Jim, when right. they're building houses. Yeah, so wow. you know it's kind of you. You want to. It's a good idea to check your pH every couple of years just to see how it's going. Mm-hmm. A good rule of thumb for, you know, for lawns is about every other year. It's probably going to need to be limed if you're fertilizing it through the year. Uh, boxwoods, pretty much every year I mm-hmm. throw a handful up mm-hmm. underneath there. But check them, you know. Yeah. Um, it's good to know what the pH clematis, is. Again, another yeah. one I would do fairly frequently. Ivy beds, rose yeah. beds. Vegetable your, gardens. Right, vegetables. Your perennial beds, <laughs> most of them are going to want to be up around six and a half. And most of our clay around here runs about five and a half, uh, mm-hmm. uh, particularly out and you get away from the city in areas that was farmland for 100 years. Yeah. Uh, inside the city, we see some that's not quite that low. But, you know, you want to, for azaleas, you want it down around five and a half. So that's important that, you know, if you're doing azaleas and boxwoods in the same bed, you got some issues there because mm-hmm. they're, you know, you yeah. can get a fair medium between them and they're both going to survive, but they, they, there's a difference in surviving and thriving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's... so, you know, you could still do that. You can group your azaleas and you can group your boxwoods and check the pH around them. Um, but you, you know, it's plant like plants together and know what your pH is. It's critical. Mm -hmm. Well, and it it is important to know what the pH is because there again, if you've got a vegetable garden and, or, or a lawn, and if the pH is say really low, you know, in the fives, five and a halves, where it needs to be six and a half. Okay. Uh, it makes a big difference in the amount of nutrients these plants can, can take up from the soil. Um, so a lot of people, that's just one of those things where we think we, we got everything just right. I mean, the right soil mix and the right plants, the right amount of sun, good drainage. We, we're on our way. But the only thing that we overlook is the pH. And it does make a, it can make a big difference in the, uh, in the growth of these plants. Something that simple mm-hmm. is either putting the lime down or not. Right. So you can bring it into Independent Garden Center and they can check your pH or uh, you can get a pH meter and do it that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, speaking of, we weren't speaking of, but poinsettias and, you know, holding them over years and years and all that. I was bringing in a nice, big, beautiful poinsettia into the building. 
And this lady goes, oh, man, I love poinsettias. She goes, I had my sister passed away two years ago around this time. And so yeah. I had a poinsettia. And she goes, I just keep it. And last year it had some red foliage. And this year it has lots of red foliage. And I go, wait, wait, you mean you've had it in your house for two years and this is happening? It's, it's doing well and, and getting red foliage. And yeah. she's like, yeah, yeah, sure enough. Yeah, it's like I said last but week. I'm like, how? Well, there's there's the, these new varieties that don't have to go in that cold, mm-hmm. or or don't have to go in the dark, and then the light and dark and light to get that red foliage. They just do it from the, just the shortening of the days. Um, so, you know, it's, I guess it's made it really easy for the growers on the grower side to get these trial poinsettias to turn red, Jim. Mm-hmm. So, a lot less work. Yeah. So, real quick, guys, Christmas is coming up. Garden mm-hmm. centers. We have the gifts for the gardener. All the stuff that you yeah. need. Uh, Christmas trees, remember a fresh cut on the bottom of the tree before you put it in the stand and watch that water. Poinsettias, keep them warm, bait as you know, keep it moist. Get those bulbs in the ground this time of year. Uh, and then the 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 wreaths and the roping, mm-hmm. you know, the old adage is take it inside as late as possible and take it back outside as soon as possible, yeah, right? Exactly. So also the cool thing about, you know, it's hard Christmas shopping and it's not so much fun a lot of times being caught up in the, the hustle and bustle of it or in the malls or stuff. When you go Christmas shopping at a garden center, it feels better. It does. I mean, you're in with nature. The people are happier. It's not as quite as compacted, you know, and it's just a a good experience, too. So to make Christmas shopping for your gardener easier, go to an independent garden center. Yeah, and then remember the gifts for the gardener. You know, one of the things was the Memphis Area Master Gardener Calendar which you'll also find at some of the bookstores and, of course, the independent garden centers. And it, and I'm telling you, I wouldn't say this if it wasn't true. It does make a great Christmas gift. Just throw that thing in the stock, and it's got some great information in there. And the pictures are all local. That's one thing I love about it. Jim? Well, we'll do it again next week. Three hours next. You're listening to Take One Radio. Thank you. Thank you.